little bit of a PSA before we dive into this episode. If you have a gun and are interested in some skill building courses, I cannot recommend the guys over at Pacific Outfitters enough. On Friday, I took their level one handgun skill builder course and Aaron and Cole were my instructors. Those guys are fucking awesome. I cannot sing their praises enough. They run a tight ship. It was a great environment. The guys know what they're talking about. And it was awesome. I really cannot recommend it enough. So if you have a gun, even if you're thinking about getting a gun, I would recommend going to those guys, talking to them, picking their brain. They're a great resource. Huge shout out to Pacific Outfitters and those guys especially. Now, our guest today is equally as awesome. If you have dealt with the key real estate group, you've probably come across her. She's a local realtor here in Humboldt County. I'm going to let her take it from here. Please give it up for Ami Ruck. We are up. And we were just talking about your market report, which I was reading over. I was very interested to see your thoughts because I don't know what to make of the market. Obviously, I'm a spectator, but it seems unsustainable. The growth. Yeah. Yeah. And just the pricing. I mean, with inflation, with gas, with everything going on, it seems ridiculous that people can afford houses over market, especially. Yeah. I mean, definitely. There's, I, I don't, you know, in Humboldt, at least, I feel like there's a lot of people also leaving. You know, there's a lot of people coming, but... I, Are there a lot of people leaving? I, I had like not heard it, that. Yeah, I feel like there's people whose family, you know, people who grew up here, families that have been here a long time, and they're kind of just, you know, seeing the market go up, and they're like, hey, maybe this is the time we could go get that, you know, dream parcel in Oregon or what have you, because there there are people poised to still capitalize. Can you do me a favor? Just turn oh. that in. You can turn the mic. Just turn it in towards your mouth. Just a tap right. it. Perfect. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're good. <clears throat> yeah, so. So people coming, people yeah. going. Because you yeah. hear about a lot of people coming in. That's big. That's yeah. been the big thing is yeah. all of these people from the Bay Area, from out of state, coming yeah. in and just buying up the real estate. Yeah, there's definitely more people coming into the area and buying real estate, I feel like. And, you know, those a lot of those people from the Bay Area have a lot of cash. Um, a lot so, of cash. Um, that definitely affects what happens. Um, and they're coming from really competitive markets where they're used to doing a lot of interesting things with their offers and stuff to secure a property. So um, that makes our market more competitive. I haven't seen our market really go to the same extent or measures as some parts of, you know, the Bay Area or what I've heard, you know, happens. Just in terms of pricing? Um, Well, yeah, definitely. We're not kind of meeting that growth yet. But also just like uh, people, when they write their offers, they can do certain things to kind of make them more attractive to the seller. And um, some of those things, each of those things carries a different level of risk for the buyer. So, um, you know, like, like, uh, you you know, you have an inspection period. And during the inspection period, you, you know, can make a decision on the property based on material facts. And you can find out, you know, is there pest work that needs to be done? Is the wiring good? Is the plumbing good? Is the siding good? Is the roof good? Is the gut, are the gutters good? Is it structurally sound? Yeah, all of that. And, um, now I feel like I've gone on a tangent. I can't remember what was the original question. Just that, um, 
market prices are oh, all people over with the their place. offers. So when when you're with their inspection period, for example, you can shorten that and you can just say never mind. Um, no, I was seeing that a lot with the inspections with yeah. pest inspections. People were just waving them just yeah. to try to get in well, and get a house. And, I mean, I didn't see a lot of inspections totally waived, definitely shortened. Um, appraisal appraisal wave is a big one, um, especially if you're financing. Um, but I actually think all of that's kind of calming down a little bit. Um, not that it's not still competitive. There's a certain like class category of house that's more competitive. I feel like the average three bed, two bath, mm-hmm. anything that's been sort of newly renovated and humbled and looks, you know, sound um, and nice. People will definitely gravitate towards that, and it can get you know multiple offers still uh, or sell quickly. Uh, but yeah, so. The big thing is that uh, last month, um, mortgage rates went up really precipitously, like overnight. <laughs> and everyone, I think, kind of just had a little shock from for that for a second. I'm going to turn my phone off. Sorry. It kind of caught people off guard, would you say, in a sense? Because it oh, seemed like they were slowly yeah. rising. Yeah, definitely caught people off guard. Um, I had, I actually had a client that was like, caught up in that you know like you know it was like like the seller took a minute to think over their offer and uh while they did that you know the rates went up a Uh. whole like percent so it actually in their case equated to a pretty significant jump in their mortgage just overnight for you know nothing different (laughs) except what you know the rates were so yeah so i feel like that definitely kind of brought everything to a little screech for a second um especially for being june when the summer market's just kind of getting up and going you don't really expect to have a a a pause so that i think i observe that anyway um i'm just one person though (laughs) i represent a very small you know percentage of the market share so there's other buyers sellers realtors investors and they may have had a different experience um Excuse me. I know, you know, I've heard people say like, oh, well, it was just mortgage rates. So that that just actually opens it up for cash buyers. But then I've also heard people say, well, cash buyers, when they see major fluctuations in the market as a whole, that's when they tend to back off and be like, OK, I'll wait and see what happens. So it's kind of like um, everyone gets a little gun shy for a second while we recalibrate to that. But I don't. I, I have heard that some people really expect things to get a little bit intense or you know, way too expensive or... Meaning it's going to heat up more. Yeah, I mean, or or that rates are going to go up and make it more and more difficult for people to buy. Um, I, You know, I don't know. Who knows? That no. seems to be the theme, though, right, with the federal markets, is it's just going to... Well, that's a, you know, I, that's not my area of expertise, federal markets, for sure. You know, I am I work in Humboldt County, and that's kind of an interesting thing. It is a hyper-local business, and that's kind of the other thing. Um, everyone always says, like every realtor always says, they have a unique market, you know, because um, every market is unique. But um, in Humboldt, the factors that I deem unique are right now just a lack of building, um, new builds. So, um, you know, pretty much everywhere else in the state, that's happening. Any Anywhere else you have that big rise, that's, you know, in L.A., I feel like it's happening a lot. And so that's where prices stayed a little bit steady, at least on the outskirts. Um, but and in the Bay Area, they went up, you know, and then they did they built, you know, if you drive down the one on one corridor through like Marin, Novato, you can see all of those units um so they put in a lot of housing but um up here (laughs) you know we just don't have that kind of growth and um 
there's not a lot of space for that kind of growth. And we're a small county. We're not really set up to kind of entertain tons and tons of massive projects. I think the, the county will get there. But in the in the meantime, my impression is just, you know, we're, we're still kind of small and rural, really. So you think so, we're insulated in the sense that if... We have a lot of cha- challenges being yeah. so rural from, like, materials, expenses, and import, and feasibility to, like, just the, the amount of staff on hand at the city, at the county, how many contractors are in the area, you know, like, you know, the cost of things... Um, to, you know, for permits and the timing and, um, you know, holding on to properties while you're renovating them also costs investors and stuff. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot there that um, make it difficult for the kind of growth that I think other parts of the state have had to help compensate. Actually, my, I'll just go ahead and say it, my big pet peeve is that I feel like we have this big bent towards affordable housing and affordable housing is really important. But in reality, if we don't have entry level owner occupied units, um, like think condos or cooperative housing units, um, places where people can buy in or even mixed use, like if you're going to put in a rental, you also put in, if you're going to put in a four or five story rental, put a couple penthouses at the top and sell them, you know, and make some owner occupied units in there because um, I see, um, and a lot of realtors actually won't even deal with these people, but I see a lot of people in the lower price point that work here, they're born and raised here, and they can't afford to buy anything here. And, um, you know, they're qualified buyers and they're not qualified for an unreasonable amount. In fact, it might be embarrassing to say, but like, a lot of them are qualified for more than what I was qualified for six years ago. And, you know, it's kind of like scary for me to think about, wow, okay, great. We we bought a house six years ago right before, you know, we thought things were kind of getting expensive then. But, you know, little did we know what have you. And I look at these families and I'm just like, I can't help you. You know, there's nothing to sell you really that you can buy. And then um, also there's a whole segment of the population looking to downsize. You know, we have big rural properties. We have properties that are, you know, on their own septic. They have their own wells. They have little forests and they have big fences and acreages and their own private driveways. And they just require all this maintenance. And older couples, older families, older individuals are living in these large houses on these larger plots and not really being able to like appropriately downsize, especially with the prices that have gone up, you know, some of them, even I've had people who, you know, live pretty rurally and for example, Willow Creek, where they're really isolated and they kind of need to at their age, come into town a little bit and be closer to their kids or whatever, but there's nothing. They can't afford it. Yeah. There's nothing there unless they just want to, you know, really change how they're living, which is a big shock for people. So, um, I think I think that there's a missing segment of um, our market right there, and that's a that's a hard one because um, you know I don't really personally have any power as far as what kinds of developments are put in, but it is something that I encourage people to think about because I think all cities, even you could even say California, Pacific Northwest, they're all looking at growth and population increase and. You know, we can get into all the different reasons why there's, you know, I think migration is like a thing that's going to be part of the global climate changes that we're seeing. And, you know, people are going to move from hotter areas to cooler areas. And we have that. So we have a very desirable climate. 
and location. And, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah I actually just realized recently it's only like a nine-hour drive to Seattle. And I was like, wow, that's actually, it's you know, terrible. for all the times that we've pulled a long day driving to L.A. to be in a big, big city, I was like, wow, actually we should, we should you know, do Go that north. more. I didn't realize we were that close. But yeah, so th- we have a lot going for us, for sure. And yeah. a lot of California thinks we're still really affordable. So... Yeah, I guess it's perspective, right? If you're yeah. a local here, it's not affordable. Yeah. But if you're coming from down yeah, south, people, then yeah. like literal words would be like, wow, you wouldn't believe what kind of like tiny little co-housing unit I was looking at with a one bedroom for the same amount of money. And if this is like acreage. Yeah, a one a view, bedroom for like 2,500 bucks. Well, that'd be rent, right? Yeah. But I'm talking even like buying. So people looking to buy, if you compare to some parts of even the Bay Area and stuff now, you just dollar for dollar, you can't really compete yeah it's just yeah that lack of entry-level single-family housing what would you attribute that to people just not selling their homes private equity firms expensive to build yeah and investors are savvy people they're business people they aren't just going to throw their money at anything and um, when you look at what makes the most money if you're going to invest in real estate and if you have the money and can get in on developments then um you can make a lot of money like that, just having tenant-occupied units. You collect all the rent. And that's the thing. People don't really think about it that way, but entry-level owner-occupied po- uh, properties are is a wealth-building activity. So when you are paying a mortgage instead of paying rent, even if you're paying pr- fairly high interest rates, which everyone's so concerned about, but even if, if you're not paying someone else's mortgage, a portion of that money is going to like a little savings account in the form of your equity. Assuming that there's no major economic catastrophe or shift that damages your equity, it's a pretty safe investment. And so while it makes sense, like at a minimum, if you're going to live somewhere and you can afford to own the place you live, you will save money. You will make money from doing that, especially in California where rents are so crazy. So um, that's one thing about about owner-occupied units. But um, I actually was speaking with someone the other day, and I didn't know this, so I can't fully... I haven't researched it myself, but what he was explaining was that, um, you know, there's subsidies. There's like, I don't know if they're grants. I don't know where the money comes from, but there's sort of like money to support developers putting in, quotes, affordable housing units. Um, Is this separate from the ADU stuff, California? Yeah, yeah. I think this is more like... um, I mean, in some cases, I think it could be like Section 8 or HUD-supported housing. It might just be uh, housing bent towards low-income individuals. Um, or I've, I think that it could be any number of stipulations. Like I've seen some units that are for just a, people of a certain age or disability, for example. Um, and they're located like right in town. And those kinds of developments are nice because then you know people who can't get very far or have to be within walking distance have that option. Um, but what this person was explaining that some, I don't know about all um, developments like that, can basically, you know, in some form or another, you save money if you do this kind of development that's affordable, that is sort of like uh, assisting the community in this way to provide a service as far as like giving housing to people who need it. But that, and actually California apparently just changed the law, but nationally after 35 years, 
you exempt out. And in California now, I think it's 55 years is what this person was saying. But after, you know, that amount of time, you no longer have any stipulations on what you can do with that building as far as who you rent it to or how much you charge or whatever. You basically, it, it gets grandfathered out or whatever. So you've taken all this, you know, taxpayer money to subsidize your building development, your project. And in a generation, I mean, you're not personally necessarily going to benefit from that. But as far as an investment goes, anyone who would be willing to purchase that building or take on any of it would still get the benefit of it. You know, anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of, um, I think, money to be made. Um, I'm like now I'm like, oh, are people going to be looking at me for saying all this? I think it's common knowledge. Yeah. And um, I do also just want to put out there like from an investor's perspective, like that's the big game, right? You have to sort of on some level also respect that this is individuals in most cases. In some cases, it's corporations and a lot of individuals have corporations or what have you, but that's their money. You know what I mean? And they're they're spending it to, you know, do something to make more money. And if that benefits the community, great. If it doesn't, at the end of the day, like, it's not up to us to say what they do with their money, you know. So um, I think it does kind of fall back on our government and our, po- you know, our politicians or um, just whoever is in charge of really making the decisions of what kind of developments we have. I just wish that they would focus more on um, early, you know, the, like the early market lower level market entry housing for owner occupied units for for people who need yeah, that. Yeah, it seems like that was out of a stretch for that low income housing, right? I thought I heard that they were doing a dollar for dollar match for a while. I don't know if that seemed a little um, bit crazy, but who was? For low income <clears throat> housing. If you put up, you know, to, 500 to grand, create they a would development. Put up, yeah. yeah. See, I don't I don't know, honestly. There are people who would know, but I only have so much bandwidth for yeah. that kind of stuff. I just know that boots on the ground. I'm the person who takes those phone calls from, you know, a young family with two kids or an older couple looking to downsize when we do the math and I have to like say, you know what, like it's not impossible exactly, but it's not likely, you know, and like I do, I know a lot of realtors who are like, if you don't have X number of dollars, I'm not probably going to work with you because in the end, I'm going to lose time and money because it's so unlikely that we're going to, you know, and a lot of those people are looking for, are using loans that, um, you know, there's a certain class of, of loans, um, USDA loans or FHA loans or VA loans where they all have low down payments or no down payments and they have condition requirements and so when you combine that in the mix it's like now you need a cheap house but you need it to be in really good shape so it starts making this perfect storm where you know you have to be the bearer of bad news and you want to help people but you you really it's like what can you, you do know, it's like bailing out a boat with a spoon <laughs> just like um i could show you working. some properties <laughs> yeah. but you know yeah so yeah, that part's hard. So um, it's not just people looking to rent that can, can't can find housing, you know. There are people that would be willing to buy. And um, I just also like to put out there, I don't believe there's any kind of requirement of who invests in our county, you know. Um, I don't know that there even could be legally necessarily, but it's interesting to think about how if you have owner-occupied units – those units become owned by a lo- like a local person because the owner has to live there, you know. Um, and as opposed to a tenancy situation where the owner can live anywhere, they're taking basically large sums of money out of our community and bringing them 
you know, to wherever their community is, wherever they... When they're being paid rent. When when rent is being paid to an out-of-area developer, which isn't every case. We have local developers as well. But I just like to urge people to think about that impact um, of that kind of development as well, because... A locally, you know, owned developer or a, a multi, excuse me, I'm thinking of like multifamily units that also have owner occupied units would be sort of an ideal uh, compromise where everyone is like a win win. But in reality, just any owner occupied unit, um, yeah, it's going to stay more local. And I think that's important to think about as far as like the health of our community moving forward. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to think about. We'll see Have what Have you noticed that multifamily is as ridiculously priced as single family? Multifamily, like, and I'm speaking primarily of coastal, um, Humboldt, and then, of course, Arcade is its own little thing right now because of Cal Poly. Um, but in general, multifamily does not seem, um, to my eye, to appreciate quite as quickly. Um, so one consideration is that, um, you know, you have different financing restrictions over units with a certain number of units. So like, um, you know, it's it's pretty easy to get owner-occupied financing, which can translate as to lower interest rate, uh, lower down payment, like in a duplex because it you know you you can use the income from the other unit to support your mortgage but it's not an investment it's a home you can live in you live in one and you rent out the other um you can live in one and rent out the other too you know if it's a triplex when it starts getting to four and above i think it's four and above that's when lenders are like this is an investment you're going to be getting more money out of it than you are going to be putting into it as a residence even if you're living in one of even the if you're living units? in one i believe okay. yeah and and they get funny too about it like I once sold a large Victorian that had two stories and it kind of had two apartments on each story but it was connected by the staircase there was no door so it was a big house with basically a kitchen bathroom and two rooms on the bottom and a kitchen and bathroom and two rooms on the second story and the bank wanted to call that two units and you know and it was like well it's it's not you couldn't legally rent them out as two units um you know because it wasn't separated right because there's no privacy i mean there's just a staircase between them it's one unit with two kitchens is what it is um but they wanted to call it two units which would have changed the amount of money these people would have had to pay for their down payment um so it was just interesting but so when you start talking about multifamily units and investment um those ones that could be more likely the three three the triplex the duplex the well, single family is not multifamily, but yeah, those the duplex and the triplex are much more likely to finance as an owner occupied. Therefore, you retain a little bit more of the market when you go to resell. So those appreciate a little bit faster when you start getting three, four, five, six on up. Those don't appreciate quite the same. And again, the more, um, you know, it's interesting, the more units you have, the more work it is. And people realize that, you know, there's just less people willing to take on an eightplex versus a fourplex, right? Um, And it's just more money. um, And it's more risk. There's, you know, in an eightplex, there's eight heaters and eight um, eight more things that can go wrong. refrigerators and eight stoves. And so that's really a business at that point. And you have to kind of take it like that not not everybody does that kind of real estate that would do a duplex you know what i mean so um but yeah compared to you know single family housing uh, multifamily housing doesn't tend to um appreciate quite as fast or at least it hasn't lately yeah and then but then there's arcada so yeah arcada is its own (laughs) yeah right 
You attribute that mostly to the Cal Poly situation? Yeah. Yeah. Just well, because and of it all happened at once. We ha- we got Cal Poly. We got word of the Google Echo cable going to Thailand or somewhere in on the Asian coast of the Pacific. Um yeah, so that and then, you know, the Nordic Aqua Farms moved in and it was kind of like and then there's always just the reality that like if one big, for example, tech company moved into the area, that would that would just totally blow out and blow up our real estate market. I don't know that that's going to happen anytime soon because we are so isolated, but it could, you know, um, we do have, to my eye, quite a bit of like land for industry, you know, um, so that could be, and housing is still relatively affordable compared to, for example, the Bay Area. So who knows? <laughs> do you anticipate that happening? I hadn't heard that sentiment well, yet. I mean, it's, it's kind of just like, you, you never know when that's going to happen. And so when they put in like that big data hub in Arcata, there's like a big data hub there now, and now they're putting in this big cable. It's like, well, what kind of industry does that bring in? Cal Poly, my impression is that, you know, part of the, the Cal Poly part is technology. So I believe that, um, the, you know, I hope I'm not misspeaking here, but my impression is that the university's goal is to, you know, basically i don't know about lobby per se but you know what i mean push for better you know better internet better technology better resources even for their students to learn from at a minimum but also to benefit from and i know that um you know i think they see that as a benefit to the community maybe even a selling point of the cal poly part because it's like hey, we're going to help, you know, bring Humboldt County into the modern, modern era as far as technology goes. So um, and then, of course, you know, thinking way down the line, I mean, if you have a university pumping out a certain type of, um, you know, graduate those STEM, with, with those yeah, STEM with certain skill set and those people like where they live, which is very common in Humboldt for a lot of people, then you may end up breeding that industry here as well, like organically. So um, it's just something to think about longer term, being so close. It for, for a long time, it's felt like we were so far from, you know, everything. Silicon Valley and that whole tech revolution scene. But the fact is with everything, you know, COVID, people's jobs moved online. A lot of people can do a lot of stuff with the internet now and just don't need to be in the office. And that's probably not going to change. So, um, yeah people want to pick you know they want to live in places like this they want to you know put down roots so yeah it will be interesting to see what happens it's not going to be logging fishing anymore yeah those days are gone (laughs) lumber mills and crab pots will start probably you know going by the way a little bit at least in dollars yeah i've been interested in seeing how that plays out because arcata is it's a liberal arts area, right? It lends itself towards that. And where Cal Poly is doing this structural shift, I've been kind of waiting to see how that plays out. Because STEM kids and liberal liberal arts kids are not the same. Well, they have had a science. They've had a good science bent for a long time. You think? You know? Yeah. I mean, I, of course, I can only speak to when I went there ages ago. Um, but yeah, I mean, all the natural resources. And I mean... Where else can you take a botany class where you're literally walking outside of your classroom door into a temperate rainforest where you get to see, in some cases, rare species of trees, um, 
you know, unique, like wild, wild rhododendrons don't just grow anywhere. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think that there's, you know, the oceanography programs, the forestry programs, the natural resource programs, the biology programs, I think have been really good for a long time. And this is just going to add to that. And I think that's why they qualified for it, because they kind of have been, you know, geology. I mean, we are sitting on a triple junction of, you know, these fault lines. It's like, you know, it's an insanely earthquake prone, you know, multiple problems with that situation. And so the geology here is fascinating, you know. So, yeah, but um, if you're saying you think the liberal arts and the sciences might clash, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because even with that, I would attribute that more towards liberal arts, even though those are fields in science, you know. Ge geology? Yeah. Well, oh, geology, geology, even anything with ocean studies, right? I would attribute mm -hmm. that more towards people that are outdoorsy and Yeah, liberal. but that's different than someone who's doing like a um, outdoor education degree or a recreational studies degree. Because, I mean, they had that degree for a while. I don't know if they still do. Or you're like, oh, I'm getting my degree in like backpacking and rafting. I mean, oh, what I didn't could be that. more Northern California than that? Um, yeah, so that you're like trained. You get all the wilderness first aid and all that. But um, so that is more of a liberal arts thing. But I think, no, I think they have serious oceanography programs and um, they teach, you know, at, at a basic level, you know, they're, we're not offering PhD programs and stuff. But I think you can get a, for a long time, you could get a pretty good science ed education at Humboldt. Oh, yeah, State, I think it's, know. I think it's a solid program. I haven't really looked into it. But yeah. I think kids that would tend towards those degrees would also tend towards liberal arts yeah, degrees. Possibly. I would just like to throw out having um, a background in education. It used to be STEAM, which had an A in it, not STEM. STEAM, oh. Steam stood for art. Oh, I art. didn't know that. Art A was the, the program. It was art. <laughs> so um, having um, somewhat of a background in teaching art to K-12 students, um, there are so many ways to integrate art and science, you know, and liberal arts and science, like some really cool interpretive ways. So um, that would be cool to see if Humboldt or Cal Poly could pull that off. But yeah, I always, that's a little pet huh. peeve of mine. It's like always STEM now, STEM, science, yeah, I'd technology. Never heard of STEM. What's the M is like makers or mechanics or something like that? So mathematics. Mathematics, that's right. Yeah, but art was always in there. Why did they yeah. drop art? I don't know. Just didn't fit the bill At the anyway. beginning. It's, yeah, I, it, I think it would be hard. You know, artists aren't usually scientists. They yeah. don't, like you say, they don't usually. Oil and water. <laughs> so what do you anticipate? I know we were talking about your market report, and it seems like you are not in the fatalist mindset of, oh, a crash is coming. Yeah, well, I mean, I just hard. take it as it comes. Um, I do think that, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have the bandwidth in my brain to really follow closely, like, national economics. So um, in my mind, I sort of go with that anything could happen. Um, yeah, you know, like, and anything did happen, right? I mean, our cost of living, the inflation, the prices just going up, then interest rates going up so that they could temper the whole thing. I mean, that's kind of like a not good situation not right great. so what's going to happen moving forward that's a good question um i just know i still have people that want to buy houses and are qualified to do so or have the money um i feel like um how it might trickle down in my everyday life at least in the next and so i i write my market reports every season every three months basically four times a year so i i don't I try not to get ahead of myself, you know, like you'll read With forecasting. 
Yeah, because anything could happen. Like we we don't I mean, I don't want to sound like crazy, but you know, we live in somewhat unprecedented times and we live in an interesting state and country and um, I mean, we just went through a pandemic. I mean, who knows what's going to happen next? And I, I, um, I think that I think there's ways of looking at real estate that feel safe to me, and that's part of what I do when I work with people, especially buyers. Um, it's important to me that it feels right, which is, you know, I don't know some people will be like, Oh, I don't want to work with her. <laughs> She's going on a feeling, but, but I mean, you know, sometimes I know more about what they're doing than they do. And I feel very strongly about not getting people into situations that they have to pay their way out of or can't afford, or, you know, I have helped really young, innocent people sometimes buy their first home for their very young children, one on the way or whatever. And they would not know if they bought something that was ready to fall over if you leaned on it funny. Like they really wouldn't. So, you know, that's just kind of where I'm coming from. And um, I I feel like it is important for people to get into property if they can, because in um, uncertain times, it is very tangible. You know, you've got a house <laughs> to live in. So if it's between renting or buying still totally buy there's who cares what the market's doing who cares if you pay nine percent i'm helping an older gentleman sell his house right now and he's like yeah i i bought this with 18 percent interest wow you know this, see a lot this of people property. hear that and they get scared about the interest rates yeah but he didn't regret it he lived in that house for 40 years you know what i mean it was his dream property so sometimes it might be worth 18 percent to do that i mean everybody has to make their own decision you know I don't hope to have to work in that market. You know, I don't want to see that happen at all because that obviously represents a peak in basically the history of interest rates that we do not want to replicate. And I don't think in Humboldt County, I don't know what would happen, you know, if we started going that direction. And is it is it possible? Yeah. I mean, I've read some national things where they talk about, you know, like the long, long-term forecasting is corporate buy-up of property, basically. I don't know. I've heard like Zillow's buying property. You Zillow, know what I mean? BlackRock, I yeah, believe, is getting right. into and it. And so that's kind of like if that starts happening, that could have a total runaway effect and there would be nothing any of us could do about it. You know what I mean? If corporations were like, oh, real estate in small rural areas is the safest investment right now. <laughs> what could we do? It would happen, you know? So um, – you know, there's no way to know. So, but in the meantime, I just start with if it's housing, if it's for your housing, it's worth it. At any price. I mean, well, I wouldn't any say price at any price, afford. but based on what, you know, it's, it's, um, it's kind of an equation. I always say like real estate is one part financial, but it's also physical, emotional, psychological. Um, there's a lot of factors. So you do have to take that all into consideration. If, you know, they're probably, I mean, I'm, I haven't read them recently, but I have seen like studies where they say that housing owner occupancy versus tenancy provides a different kind of stability, not just to a family or an individual, but also to a community. So like children raised in their in a home that their family owns have a different experience of life than children in a tenancy situation. Um, and that's just, you know, there are like outcomes that are measurable on that. And you can think about the different kind of disruptions people go through when they're in a tenancy situation. And then there's a whole bunch of like non-financial 
things like the psychology, the emotion of it, of not being able to choose what color your walls are or whatever, all these levels and layers. So um, I know I'm going back to the owner occupancy thing and I'm trying to remember what was I going through. But anyways, at a certain level, there is a dollar number where it's that has a value for an individual. For some people, they don't care as much. They're like, oh, I don't care. I'll just rent. I might move here or move there. I'm kind of whatever. I don't really need to put down roots. I have enough money or I have investments elsewhere and I'm fine. Fine. Great. But if you're like, yeah, I know I'm going to be here. I'm not going anywhere and I'm paying too much for rent and I have a good job and I can qualify for a loan, then it even makes sense at a higher interest rate, I think, because of the long-term benefit to your being besides just your pocketbook. So it is an investment, but housing is also more than an investment, which is why real estate is so touchy for people. For a good time, you should go on Google and just type in realtors are <laughs> in the top like 10 things you get are just so comes scandalous. Up? Um, you know, everything from all Do the Do people not like realtors? People don't like realtors. Oh, I no. didn't know that. Yeah, we're scum. Why? Um, you guys are the ones selling the houses. We don't have an houses. honest bone in our body. That's the sentiment? Someone posted that on my market report comments. About, Just wow. Just scummy realtors don't have an honest bone in your body or something like that. I don't know. You know people get really touchy because it's housing. It's home. You yeah, but know? that's like shooting the messenger, right? You guys aren't the ones... I, so, okay, so a little history. Originally, realtors and real estate was pretty unregulated. So um, people did a lot of shady things. Now, there is a distinction. In fact, if you hire someone that is called a realtor, then they have had an, um, they're part of the National Association of Realtors and they've had an extra layer of ethics training and they continue to do so. And they're sort of um, advertising that they abide by a certain ethical you know, boundary, because there are weird gray areas sometimes where you have to, you know, you're a fiduciary. That's different than just being a, a car salesman. You you can, as a car salesman, I, my understanding, I don't believe there's any fiduciary duty there. You can just, you know, basically do what you need to do, even if it benefits you to get something sold. You can't do that with housing. So um, you do owe your clients ethical consideration above yourself. and But if you just hire a real estate agent, they n haven't necessarily gone through that. So realtors, sorry, I'm a realtor. They're better. Yeah. Yeah, because you can, that. you know. But that doesn't mean that there aren't gray areas and that there aren't, you know, sometimes things to think about and figure out what's the, the best way. There's legal considerations. Is that just... Because you're getting a cut that people think you guys are trying to oh, amp yeah. up so the that's, price. Uh, that's uh, yeah, that's where that's funny. I could talk about that. Yeah, well, excuse me. It does depend on, um, you know, where you are in the hierarchy of realtors. So, um, like, for example, for me, um, when I take a commission, my broker retains some of it as a fee um, for overseeing me basically they do have um they are like the broker of record on the contract that i write is they retain that contract like if i died they would still that would still be an active contract with that brokerage i'm an agent of the brokerage okay yeah so i work i don't work for them you know i'm my own business but i they retain a portion of my you work commission. along with yeah, them yeah they take a percentage so off the top they take a percentage in the digital age there's also a new trend where you get referrals from online people that have really perfected the art 
of funneling people from the internet to you to help with real estate. And if you find a good one, you'll pay another, you'll pay like 30% off the top, 25, 20 to 30% off the top to a company, a corporate referral, some company whose business it is to capture people's names, phone numbers, and then you cold call them and get them. So sometimes you're taking like a huge portion of that money. And then um, it's still a lot of money because it's a percentage. And then with prices going up, your your pay goes up as a realtor as well. Um, But on top of that, then there's all these costs and fees of doing business. And then we're, we own our own businesses. So we get, you know, self-employment tax, which is basically like doubling up on tax sometimes. So it's a, there's a lot of money out for how much money comes in. It's still a really good job. But I do know that some people have the impression they'll basically go, oh, a realtor gets paid 3% of the purchase price. That's a a million dollar house. That's $30,000, you know, or whatever it is. I think that's right. Yeah. And they'll be like that, you know, they just made $30,000 in a month or whatever, but it actually doesn't add up that way. It's a lot of taxes. There's a lot of fees. Yeah. Do you get to set your own percentage? Um, It is negotiable. It's negotiable. There are market standards, but it's negotiable with your clients and with um, your broker. I know that there was some um, talk, I think, recently about, like, moving to a – like, because right now, if you're a buyer – your commission to your agent um, who's representing you in your transaction is paid by the seller. That's the way it's done in Humboldt County 99.9% of the time. So um, it's nice because as a buyer, you're not going to have that amount of money. You're trying to put it all into a property. So um, and, and the seller is the one getting the big theoretically payoff. So that's how, how it works here. But um, I've heard talk that they're trying to switch it to make it so that, yeah, seller pays their agent and then the buyer pays their agent which would really um it would it would just frustrate the market a little bit i think it'd be interesting i don't think that'll happen anytime soon here but it could Hmm. (laughs) it's all negotiable i didn't know that yeah could so when you are representing a client trying to sell their house is it ethical for you to advise them on their price like if they come in and say oh i want to sell this for 450 and you're like we could really get closer to five i mean Sellers are always wanting your opinion to value, and that is part of what we do. You should be able, as a realtor, to justify it, um, but it's an art and a science, you know? To, like, what's the market doing, Ami? Yeah, because <laughs> you don't want I get it to my house, sit for you know? four months. Um, shockingly, people often have a number in their head of what they want for their house a lot of times, um, and I like to work with that number. Um, and, you know, try to just work with what they want to sell their house for. Um, sometimes people actually need a certain amount to like pay off a mortgage or maybe they have multiple mortgages, you know? Um, so there's a lot of considerations when doing that. As far as the ethics of it, this is like an ethics quiz right now, and I haven't done my ethics training recently, but I personally, um, do not tell people what to list their price for or their, their property for. I will, give them a range that I think it would fall under. And I always give the caveat of, you know, I mean, of course, there's an actual like document that goes along with all listing paperwork that says, hey, the market conditions can fluctuate because they can. So, hey, seller, you know, we're, we're putting your property on the market for this dollar. It doesn't mean we're going to get it. And it doesn't mean you're definitely going to get anywhere near it because you never know. Um, it's basically the advisory. But um, yeah, in that case, um, I really think it's important for sellers to choose their price so that when and if things don't go the way they assumed they would, you know, we can revisit 
and say, you know, well, we tried it your way or let's try it my way. There's a lot of strategies of how to price and how to handle pricing if a property stays on the market longer than you hope. Um, sometimes you have sellers who are like, this is what I want and I'm not taking a dollar less and that's it. That's going to be a hard client to work with. It is hard, yeah. you know, but also sometimes they're not wrong, you know. Sometimes it's like, well, I kind of do think this property's worth that. So that's where you started getting into this really interesting thing that I observe, and I don't know if it's Humboldt County specific because I've only ever worked here as a realtor, but I don't see it happening on HGTV or anything. But basically, like, if you go in, like, flipping a house is kind of hard to do, like, numerically, financially. It doesn't always pan out, really, in Humboldt. It's risky. Yeah, it's risky it anywhere. is risky. And um, there's a lot of things that local people who have lived here for a long time, especially, are looking for in a house or a property where they will take, they will like be fine with a lot of not good stuff, you know, because the house has this one kind of chicken coop they like, or, you know, it has a little section of redwood trees in the back or, or what have you. So what's interesting is to see that, you know, sometimes location and um, style, um, and actually I would also throw in their livability of a house, um, really impact what you can get for it. So maybe the windows are single-paned, and it would cost $20,000 $20, to replace all the windows in that big Victorian that's going to be super drafty. But, you know, so-and-so has this dream of living in a big Victorian, and they have ever since they were young, and so they don't care. <laughs> They're going to still pay a lot more for it. Or, you know, maybe there's other things that have been updated on that property. And in some cases, those things are not the things that I personally look for as a solid. Like, I'm like, okay, how old's the roof? How old's the heater like I'm a maintenance person so I want to make sure it's solid I want to make sure there's not a ton of rotten joists in the or subfloor that needs to like all come out and get replaced or a foundation issue um, or whatever but it's always interesting to see what people will look past if it's the right fit for them that's where I'm saying it's like it's physical and and financial but then there's this whole emotional part also be like oh it looks exactly like I saw in my dream. And you're like, yeah, but the, it's slipping down the side of the hill. <laughs> you know, the foundation needs like an $80,000 fix. And they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. It doesn't look that bad, you know, or whatever. So you never know. Um, I don't know how I got off on that tangent. Sorry. I, I don't that. know, but that's a good tangent. The emotional aspect of buying, especially if you're investing, is dangerous. That gets it people be, tied yeah, up. Yeah. Well, and so... The emotional aspect of buying and selling, I should just like to throw out, is it's pretty much there for everybody. Um, you know, selling in terms of like if you're listing your house for sale, I mean, there's a lot. No, of but I mean, their there. emotional attachment to not wanting to sell it or that to being be attached part to a price that can be certainly part of it, not wanting to sell, but you need to either financially or physically. You know, um, you can't walk up and down stairs anymore, and you don't have a bedroom on your first floor, so got to move. <laughs> um, that can be really hard for people to make that kind of transition for sure, especially if they're coming from not just switching houses. I, I should say, especially for people who have just lived where they've lived for so long, that's a big... Become know. attached. Yeah. If people have hopped around every, you know, the average homeowner lives in their home eight to 10 years before they sell it. So if they've done that four times, then they're probably more comfortable moving, but it's hard to know. And then um, the other thing I notice a lot of is the stuff. Like, so packing and downsizing can be a really big issue for some people, um, especially if they don't have, like, full capacity to do it themselves and they need help or they can't – some people can't even afford to get the help or how are they going to move, you know. So there's a lot to consider. But also um, – 
you know, what if you're selling a property that was like your family homestead and, you know, now grandpa's passed away and no one can really afford it? <laughs> there's emotion there. Um, sometimes there's big families like that that need to sell and one person's living there and has lived there their whole life and now they have to move. You know, so there's emotion there, you know. Um, sometimes you're in contract, which is, this is the most common, and things aren't going your way. <laughs> or things come up, you find out something about your property you never knew, and it's a real detriment. What do you do? Oh, crap. Now we just, like, lost, you know, $20,000 off what our value is, and we didn't even know, you know. It's just disappointing, you know. So, and they're, they're for some people, this is the biggest investment they ever make in their life. This, for some people, this is... For most is, people, I yeah, would say. This is, their, this is their savings, their life savings, their inheritance for their kids or whatever. So, um, you know, a simple counteroffer asking for a price reduction can gut someone, you know, if they're re really counting on that dollar amount or whatever. So yeah, there's tons of emotion. <laughs> and and people get really upset, you know, that people really will start to think sometimes people are trying to be shady, um, you know, which sometimes may be true, but it's not, I don't think as often. It's amazing how many times a upset buyer or seller will try to throw under the bus the other realtor. That person's like, they say they're shady, you know, because realtors, people have a bad um, idea of realtors. So and I have to be like, no, actually, no, they're 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 a nice person. <laughs> you know, I've worked with them before. <laughs> it's just complicated situation. You know, anything can happen. So it Again, is kind is of that exciting. Just, that is way. that just price gouging though, with the attachment to realtors, or they just people um, don't trust them? Well, no, no, no. I I I mean, I don't think so. I just think because realtors historically are go-betweens we negotiate we help negotiate we actually try to keep buyers and sellers apart if we can because buyers and sellers will say things that cause legal liability for one or the other or in terms of like um oh yeah yeah that can stay i wasn't gonna no i i wasn't gonna take those curtains and then you know four weeks later someone moves in and there's no curtains and they're like no they told me they were leaving the curtains that's why we didn't ask them to fix the downspout and then you're like well we didn't get it in writing you know you didn't tell me you had that so it's just better to like keep them apart <laughs> kind of keep them apart um of course that doesn't always work but yeah so we're go between and if something doesn't go someone's way you know sometimes people need to blame someone so yeah, the really frustrating things can happen. And sometimes it's nobody's fault, you know. Sometimes it just is what it is. Like, you know, you just have to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, the hillside sliding out under the house. We Yeah, what can we I did do? It, we I, didn't I'm know. not a contractor. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. Right. So, yeah, we just got to go from here now, <laughs> you know. I know it's disappointing you can't move in or you maybe can't buy this house and you're hoping to. But – or whatever it is. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Housing is tricky. People I mean, think about it. It's feelings. home. Yeah. It's, it's home. your home. Especially, it's like you said, home. if you've lived in it for a decade. Yeah. And then you're selling it. Someone's trying to lowball you and you're like, this is my, this mm -hmm. my house. Well, and that's, I guess that's maybe where I uh, started on that tangent, which is that it's interesting to look at what kind of upgrades get you top dollar when you're selling versus what doesn't. And um, it to me, it's not always linear. <clears throat> Sometimes you'll see... 
a house that maybe someone's lived in lovingly for 25 years and they've really put a lot of attention to detail. And I see that stuff. I'm like, okay, and I do that at my house because I'm a home person. Like, okay, here's my vent where my heat comes out. And it's not the $7.99 vent you can go get at Ace Hardware. It's the $45 iron, cast iron vent with the cool design that matches the motif of my house and the floor. Like I notice that stuff, but a lot of buyers don't and it doesn't always get the value you would think. So if you're thinking I'm going to invest in these cast iron floor grates for my heating unit and it's going to sell my house, unlikely. But if you just love the way it looks and you can see your floor vents and you like it and you're going to live in your house for a long time, dollar for dollar emotionally, that might be worth it. It's worth it for me, you know. But um, if someone goes in and has this house they've lived in and that they've touched up in all those little ways and they've put in all the money and all the, the finery and all of that, it doesn't necessarily pan out compared to someone who just, you know, flipped a house with the latest trend and um, okay, the floor looks good. But it's actually just a roll of linoleum. You know what I mean? Which is pretty cheap. Like not, oh, it's durable. People will be like, it's yeah, durable. Yeah, it's not a hardwood But then you're floor. like, dollar for dollar, you compare it to this floor. It has hardwood floors that were recently refinished. That That's more value. You know, it doesn't always pan out. So it is interesting to see. Um, I think uh, there was a house listed in Blue Lake recently. And um, oh my gosh, it was so cute. A little cottage, garden. I mean, just really, really cute. And it was an open house. And I went for my client and um, she was out of the area at the moment. She's local, <laughs> not selling every house to someone out of the area. Sorry. I know people give me flack for that. Don't tell. Humboldt's awesome. And um, it was so cute. And we're just walk gushing. It's staged. It's so, so cute. Anyway, um, on the second pass through, I like realized in the kitchen, there's no kitchen cabinets on the walls and there's no kitchen cabinets on the ground <laughs> it's just a bunch of tables and islands there's like a stove and then that's it like the cabin no cabinet yeah there is a cabinet down this weird it, it was a cute old farmhouse so the sink was in a different you know how i don't know if you know in victorians and old farmhouses the sink can be in its own little like closet almost separate from the actual kitchen kitchen but yeah, it just had no cabinets. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, we hook, line, and sinker on this cute, cute house. <laughs> There's no cabinets. Yeah. So all of that furniture theoretically would come out when the house sells. And then you would have this room that's supposed to be your kitchen with no countertops, no cabinets. Like it was just, just this empty it, room. It surprised me, you know, that I, so, but I'm, I don't, I haven't looked it up. That I'm sure that house sold right away. I'm sure it sold for time. I mean, it was right in the heart of Blue Lake and it was cute as a button. Didn't matter. It had single pane windows or weird bedrooms um, that were kind of not functional, but also no kitchen cabinets. I'm sure I'm sure it got good dollars. So it doesn't always pan out. You know, if you owned that house and you wanted to update it to sell it, it wouldn't be worth it because people want it just how it is, you know. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Do you think that's more indicative of just where we are in the market today, that people are just willing to take that just because everybody's buying everything? Um, yeah. I mean, did you ever see Edward Scissorhands? I did not. Oh, okay. I know the reference. Yeah. Saw, okay. Well, the there's movie. this suburb in Edward Scissorhands and it's super plain, Monopoly plain, like green lawn, white box houses. And Tim Burton patterned that off of the town he grew up in, which is where I grew up in Southern California in Burbank. And it's so cookie cutter. And we don't have that problem really in Humboldt, at least not historically. Um, we do have our own little cookie cutter areas, but even some of our 
subdivisions and stuff are actually kind of unique and different. You know, they're small enough. They might be like seven or eight houses, but you're not seeing this tracked housing where every house is the same for like half mile or something, you know. So people come here and there's all this character that they're just not used to. It's a cute little Victorian coastal town and um yeah, I mean, people come out of the woodwork if I list a craftsman, especially if it's like a fixer, you know, people like craftsmen. They just want hmm. that era of home. So we have a lot of building that happened here up to kind of like a certain point and then it stopped for a minute and then it started again with newer housing. So we but m like most of I think Eureka and Arcata and stuff was pretty built out by like even the 40s and then they infilled a little bit with the Pearson housing and stuff after World War II. But there's not as much housing from the 70s or 80s and then it picks up again in the 90s and the 2000s and stuff. But yeah, there's just there's all this character. So people love that here. Does character only sell in a hot market? No, no. They sell all the time. Not at all, yeah. Like I say, I mean, there will be people whose dream it is to own a Victorian, and if it's a money pit, they don't care. They they literally they want, want to refinish the wood. That's they that's their like they feel passionate about it. So, um, yeah, and I mean, also, you they're not make they're not making more of them. You can't just go you know buy a Victorian that's anywhere, true, right? you know. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and here, I think, I don't know, I think there are other cities in the nation where they have a lot of character, for sure. And there's old homes at a lower price point waiting for people to come and take good care of them and stuff. But here, it's just the perfect storm with like the forest and the ocean and the rivers and the isolation and the temperature. I just, do you yeah. do you think prices are going to come down in the near future at all, or you think the interest rate is not going to deter think they, anybody? They, I mean, I mean, think they could come down, but I I'm envisioning personally something more like a plateau. Um, they might fluctuate. I mean, they always do fluctuate a little bit. Even at the top of the market, I was starting to see like it kind of just depended like how many other properties came on the market that week. Oh, that was the only two bedroom house on the market that week. So yeah, it sold and it sold for top dollar in 10 days because that's what we're doing, right? We're like, oh, there's one, grab it, you know? So um, I don't think that's going to be happening as much. Um, but it could be, you know, if like an... Um, I, you know, I, I do always quote fire season because whenever there's massive fire season inland, it even doesn't really even matter how close it gets here. If it's a wicked fire season, I get a lot of phone calls from people. You know, not every out of the area trying yeah, to come in. Yeah, and and a lot of them aren't even people that end up moving here. It's like you can tell they're like grasping, like where can I go? Because I'm done. That's what they say. They're this is our fourth time evacuating. We're just done, you know. And some of them are trying to keep their property, their rural property, and some of them are trying to sell it first and figure it out. But yeah, I mean, something like that temporarily could cause prices to go up quite a bit, you know. Um, there's our market is small enough. What I'm saying is our market small enough that if a few people decide not to list their property one week, it could matter Makes that week. Um, but I think everything's slowing down a little with that kind of intensity anyway. Um, there's still plenty of buyers and sellers. Um, people always want to know if it's a good time to buy. So, you know, what I wrote about in my market report, I always say if it's housing, yes. Yeah. I mean, cause it's an investment in yourself and your family. Um, 
And if it it's always a good time to buy if it just makes sense emotionally and you can afford it, you know, do that for yourself. You would buy, but sometimes you buy yourself a nice car. You really don't need it to be that nice, but you buy it because you like it and you want it. You're emotionally attached. Yeah, and that's okay to do with a house or a property as well, um, for sure. Um, I do think, you know, the name of the game with real estate, like with most investments, is length of time. So I feel like – when you look at real estate as an investment, it's still, if you can find one that the numbers pencil out on, um, you know, having tenants usually pays the mortgage for you. So if you can afford to get that loan and, and do that, that does still kind of make sense. Um, there's still a lot of people out there really looking for a deal. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of people, I think, in Humboldt that are not afraid to just put in some lowballs for fixers or multi-unit properties. So we uh, they, they get a lot of flack, too. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, greedy landlords, blah, blah, blah. Well, I will say I just want to advocate for a second for the Joe Schmo landlord, the average contractor that maybe buys and or flips you know, six houses in his career, you know, he's not like turning them out. He's he's basically doing a project trying to make a little money on the side. Those people are not gouging anybody. <clears throat> you know, they're they're trying to build their business and they're just using that. And it takes a lot, especially these days, financially, especially to renovate a property. So um, we actually need those people in Humboldt County. We need them badly. I wish we had more. Uh, just today, I don't know where is they're driving over here, actually. And I saw this house. It was all boarded up. And I was like, I have never seen that house before. Like it was behind some tree or bush or something. And it's like, there's another house that someone needs to come and fix because it's right there. It's a house, but it's not, you know, habitable. So we need those people. So I'm glad they're here. That is not a common sentiment. A lot of people, I'm aware of the anti-landlord rhetoric. A lot of people are not landlord favorites. They well, like and it's a line I walk. I mean, personally, not every realtor feels the same way about it. But, you know, how I've, I've, I think I've already expressed how I feel about like housing and home and land and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, if we, I think there, I I, I would be curious what other realtors would say about this, but my impression is that we have quite a few small-time house fixer-upper flipper people, um, and a lot of those people fix them up and rent them, and that's how they make their money back is the time collecting rent. Um, are they maximizing and pushing rents higher than they need to be? Well, it's a market demand situation. Um, so it's not going to be any different with the, you know, bananas you just paid too much for whatever avocado fiasco we had, you know, recently where the prices of avocados like doubled because of a, a situation in Mexico. So, you know what I mean? Like it's housing is also a business and, um, it's that's a that's an interesting everyone has to kind of feel that out for themselves so I've been helped out by landlords as a tenant and I've also been like had bad situations with landlords and I've seen as a realtor I've seen some things that make me really sad I look at a, a house and I'm like okay so that person's not going to be paying this tiny amount of rent anymore but good gracious they're living with rats you know I don't think that's better that they get to live there for that I think we need to address that you know I think something should change it shouldn't be okay even at that lower price point for someone to live in that kind of filth in our town you know that's how I feel about it so I actually I don't know 
you know, it's also got that gentrification piece and you have to, you have to watch that and be like, well, how much are we displacing people and how much are we improving the house housing situation? And it's, you know, it's not one or the other. It's both. It's either or. We need to improve the housing situation and we need to not displace people. Yeah. I think people get weird with landlords because there's this sentiment that housing is a human right and then you have somebody profiting off people needing a place to live and it gets dicey for them. They can't seem to yeah, well, to manage that quarrel in their mind. Yeah. And I mean, that goes so far deep into, I mean, there's a lot of interesting politics around the history of land ownership. And I mean, we're all guests here. If you're not, you know, from the First Nation that was here before us. And we came and we changed the system of how land was used and transacted. Although my understanding actually, and I really hope I'm not misspeaking here, but you know, different, um, like I, my, I was reading a book about Yurok, which were right near the office here. Um, and it was, it was talking about how different people would like sort of maintain the certain section of the quote food forest. So it's like, oh, there's this one patch of acorns or, um, this certain kind of berry or whatever, and that belongs to so-and-so. Like, you don't go harvest from there, you know? So there was probably some system like that. Um, it's obviously so different to tie it into our whole big economic structure and, you know, first world kind of dynamics. But um, I think also tenants, it would be great for them to also realize that in California, they are way more protected than um, in just about any other state that I know Some of. Some would argue too protected. Well, so and the, the backlash for that is that landlords or investors or people who would be interested and available in investing in a community can no longer afford to do so, or they're taking on too much legal risk. And then it becomes kind of a question of like, do I want to um, take that risk? Yeah, you potentially know? be sued. Yeah. Because I got a bad tenant. Yeah, and I, can't I, get I actually out. called. I, I called a lawyer to go over a, a situation with a contract recently, and that it involved a buyer and uh, a, someone buying a unit that had a tenant. And but you know that lawyer just at one point she just goes, buyers have no rights. You know, they have no rights in this situation. I was like, wow, yeah, that's true. They really don't. They're like the separate third party. It's between the current landlord and tenant situation. But it was just interesting to think about all the ways that you you do put yourself at risk. I've done a couple investor workshops where I've had people who are maybe toying with the idea of having um, rental properties. And um, I always invite a property management company, a local company. Not all property management companies are the same and they do charge money. But I'm always reminded of how important it can be to have like to have someone like that on your side when you're a landlord because you can really you can be sued for a lot of things. So um, I, and I do think a lot of tenants are living in situations that they could sue for probably and they don't know. Um, but that that's a whole nother breakdown in the system. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's not great really in some cases for either side. So um, I'm, I, like I said, I really, in my life in general, I'm not an, I'm not an either or person. It's, and also, you know what I mean? It's risky to be a landlord and also landlords can really take advantage of their position of power. Both are true. So when people try to uh, simplify things down to one way or the other, you know, that's not great. I've um, I've totally, you know, heard stories and talked to people who've been, you know, wrecked by 
tenancy situations, you know, or had properties damaged or, or what have you. And we've come away a long way, obviously, with laws. Um, I was actually talking to my mom and my my grandparents had a fan. They had a family farm, I guess, but my great grandpa was um, not a farmer, and he ended up moving out um, with his wife and two daughters, and they could not find housing because they had kids. Which everyone I tell that to, they're like, "What? Like that's so illegal." Which it is illegal, um, but uh, at that time it wasn't. And they eventually found something stable and figured it out. And he ended up buying multiple properties, and in that time, only renting to people with small children to make up for it because oh, he wow. he was affected by that. Also illegal though, <laughs> so yeah. you know. But it was now, of course, not at the time. But it's just interesting to think about, like you know, how much worse it could be or how much worse it was for people. So um, I would encourage if you're going to stay a tenant, like educate yourself on your rights. You can find so much of that information online. Um, You can ask your landlord for it. Um, You can say, hey, I'd like to, you know, do you have information for me about my rights and stuff? Because, um, you know, I think there actually are some, you know, laws around it. I don't really work in property management, so that's going into an area that's beyond my my expertise. But um, there, I think there's even rules about what you have to disclose to your tenants. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people are really following the rules on that. So it's hard. It's it's all a big system. And, and, then, and then the government will go and change a bunch of stuff <laughs> on and you. And not tell anybody. Yeah. There was a law actually that just came out about just cause evictions. It didn't just come out. It was – I think it went – it got passed um, in 2019 and went into effect like January 1st, 2020. And then, of course, March 2020, all of our housing laws and eviction laws changed with COVID immediately. So um, it only recently actually like came back into effect. And it's so it feels really new, but it's been it's been in effect since since 2020. But, you know, you have to constantly shift and adjust when the law What is change. the law that just came back into effect? In California now, there are, well, I don't want to misspeak on it. You'll definitely do your research, but um, there are only, I think, four or five reasons you can evict a tenant um, from their housing. And they um, are, this is like a test too. Um, if you're going to do a major renovation, if you're taking it off the rental market, um, if a family, like a I think like a very close family member, like son, daughter, sister, immediate family, immediate family members moving in. Um, I think there's one other, but yeah, there's only a few reasons. And um, if you do follow through with that, you, there's like, I believe that that person, that tenant can retain their last month's rent. That's kind of what the paperwork reads to me. (laughs) So um, as like a moving bonus or what have you. So, and then, you know, there's different laws for how long someone gets to move out and stuff. But it's yeah, a process. It's, I'm, I guess all of this is just to say it's not as easy as just collecting a rent check to be a landlord. And there is a lot of legal liability. And I have seen it in some cases cost people so much money that they just didn't realize, you know, something wasn't right or they weren't doing it right or whatever. They let their tenant through a legal loophole they didn't know existed. You know, who knows? Do you own any property yourself? Uh, Outside just the of house. Just yeah. your house. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever rented anything out or done any of that? Um, I mean, I've I was a renter before we. But never our owned house. property and rented. No, I've never anything. I've never done that. Mm-mm. Do you think you have this perspective just because you've worked with landlords as oh, well for as sure. with yeah. regular people? Yeah, and a lot of that stuff gets negotiated during um, a transaction too. You know, a new buyer of a multifamily property gets to find out all the details about the tenants and their releases and what are the agreements and 
Um, so yeah, and I feel like in Humboldt, I hope that as people buy and fix up properties, they're also moving towards better landlord practices. Actually, I'll just put a shout out because I just sat through a workshop. Shoot, I almost want to look it up. Um, hum, Cal Poly Humboldt has a program that they just, I don't know if it's newly launched. I just heard about it, but I think it's called the Humboldt Tenant Landlord Collaborative or something, but it is, they have a whole YouTube channel and it's basically a um, collaborative educational effort. They have all these videos online. So if you're a young person and you're wanting to move out and become a tenant, if you're wanting to rent something, they will help you figure out what you need to do so that you can appear appropriate on those applications. What are the landlords looking for? And then I think what they're trying to do is make some kind of little designation. So like, oh, you know, so-and-so tenant just went through our little education program. They're like certified gold, whatever. You know, Mr. Landlord, you now know this tenant has sort of undergone tenant training. Oh, like a vetting process. A little bit. I think that's what they're trying to do. And then, but they also have something for landlords where they're trying to teach people about best practices as well, because there are those people who are like, oh, I have some extra money. I'm going to get this house. I'm going to rent it out, you know, and they may or may not be doing things the right way. And they may be, you know, it may not be great for that tenant. You know, they might be losing out on some of their rights and that tenant might not know. So it just seems like a really good resource. Um, the whole program, my understanding, is was developed to help deal with, um, like, student houselessness. Which is a big issue. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I think that part's cool. Um, and it sounds like if you're thinking about being a landlord, it might be a great place to start, you know. Yeah, that's an interesting resource. Yeah, a local have. resource. So. Yeah. When you teach those classes those landlord classes or investment classes for people interested in that, what is your, what are you providing for them? Oh, Just a general um, outlook? Yeah. So for, for, I usually get together other providers. So um, my husband, who's also a realtor, realtor, Brian, he and I will usually cover sort of like the ins and outs of shopping for an investment property, the types of investment properties, um, kind of what we went over, like different viability of different size properties and um, appreciation or income as far as rents. Um, and then um, we have a property management professional come and talk about, you know, what rents are doing, their services, maybe why you want to use a property manager. Um, and they sort of do give a little education on, you know, sort of some pitfalls, really. They're there to sell their what service for sure. For? But yeah. also it is important. It's it's an education every time to be like, oh, I didn't know that was something, you know, you have to look out for. And then we will also usually have a financial professional come and talk about different kinds of financing for investment properties, kind of also what I touched on as far as like, oh, this could qualify as owner-occupied in the future, so it might be a better investment or you know, whatever the different situations may be, it's nice for people to be able to talk to a to a lender right away. That's a another little thing is that people often will reach out to a realtor first. Or that's like cart before the horse. Like really talking to a lender is always the first step if you don't already know your financial circumstance and what you can afford. It's definitely the first step. But yeah, so that's it's we we only do them occasionally. Little workshops kind of cut back on it with COVID. Um that's and, a cool resource, though. I didn't know. Yeah, if you guys and did I'm that. always happy to, you know, set one up or take down names if people are interested in future workshops. But um, you get busy, and then it's like, oh, and now everyone wants 
like an online option. So then it's like, well, that's a lot more work. <laughs> I could provide snacks <laughs> much easier than like a online, <laughs> but maybe we'll get there. Yeah. When you, when you've been selling recently, have you noticed a lot of people going that landlord route or it's still predominantly people looking um, for People are always toying around with it in their mind. Like, and I do bring it up because you know, the rentability of a unit does affect its value long term. Um, just, you know, and sometimes people are looking for that and they look at houses that are almost like too nice for that. It's like, well, you have to, there's so much to consider if you're looking at that. As far as whether, um, I feel like there's a lot of people that are always like, oh, and if there's like a mother-in-law, that'd be fine. We could rent it out. You know what I mean? Or if it had a second unit, we could rent it out or or whatever. So a lot of people sort of, I feel like, toy with that idea without necessarily even really researching it or really thinking about it. Um, They're just like, oh, this could be fine. Maybe we yeah, should think about and it, that. Yeah, and it is true. I mean, when you get a property with a income unit that income a portion of it gets counted to, as income for you so you can qualify for more so I do like to have that conversation with clients because it's like if you can qualify for a $450,000 house and it's great it's just a regular house but then you could also with the income of a second unit qualify for a $500,000 house theoretically you know using that income you may want to do that instead you may prefer the bigger investment you may want because uh, you know a house with a mother-in-law unit's also more likely to have a little bit more property it might be on a bigger lot or in a more rural area so there's all those considerations but you do i think i like to think about rentability you know and like if something in your life happened, um, oh, you know, you're from the East Coast. Well, if all of a sudden, you know, your family got sick and you needed to go back East, like, is this in a good location to rent? Would it be easy to rent, you know? Or is it kind of isolated and far and hard to get to and a little awkward and cold and drafty? And you know what I mean? You have to slip your water with a pail. I don't know. But I mean, it's a factor. So, yeah. Does that change the loan type that you can get? Like if you went for an FHA, they wouldn't. You can look at it as an investment oh, property, could you? Question: I think FHA will lend. This is a lender question, but I think they'll lend on up to three units. Okay. I'm pretty sure they'll lend on duplexes. You know, the main thing with FHA, and they, it probably if it had more units, they would ask for more of a down payment, is my guess. Um, a little more than you know, because they do like I think they do like a three percent and or a five percent down. Um, and um, actually that one. I was talking about with the Victorian with the two stories, they were doing an FHA. And that was a factor because making it into two units was going to increase their down payment. Mm. Um, so what was the question again? Back Just on? that uh, if treating it as an investment property affected long Yeah, types. so it will. It. I mean, yeah, I think FHA and USDA are for owner occupancy only. Um, but if you're going to occupy it and it has another unit, that's – that's different. It wouldn't, I, they wouldn't say you couldn't buy it. No, but I was wondering if that would affect, because if you can look at it as an investment property, then you can add on, you can get a greater loan amount, right? Well, so I think only in the more like nebulous sense that every property you buy is an investment. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, if, you know, when you write your offer, you declare if you plan on using it as an investment or you plan on occupying it. So, um, and people will sometimes write one thing and then things change and they do another. I've heard they're 
like kind of trying to check up on people on that now because it does, you know, they do give you sort of a better deal, I think, if you're buying housing versus, you know, there's different loan programs for housing versus investment. But there is a gray area where, you know, you you can buy a house and it might also be a good investment because it has a rental or something. Hmm. But that's different than if you're like, oh, I'm going to go get a loan for this storage facility that I'm buying. That's totally different than if you're going to live in the house. Yeah, I know they're a little more lenient with how they look at it if you live in it, right? Even if you're renting out a portion, like you said, as opposed to just buying it strictly to... Yeah, I don't know if it's lenient, but it's just less expensive. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yes. When most people are going to buy a house, do they know what to look for? I know we touched on that a little bit. No. No, no, they don't not, check the roof. Even, they don't look even at the like, fireplace. Sorry, everyone out there, not even <clears throat> seasoned home buyers. <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny what different people's like needs are. You know, I had a client once. They were pretty inexperienced, and we were at the stage where we were doing like inspections. And I walked in, and I saw the buyer, and they just had their hands on the walls. They were just closing their eyes and feeling the wall. Just getting a feel for that. You know, and there's these inspectors running around checking for everything. And I think they just felt like they needed to do something, you know. But, um, yeah. Did they say anything about it? Like, oh, I'm getting a weird vibe from this room. No, nothing. They were just just having a moment. I just backed out of the room and let them have a moment. But, you know, I I think I've heard from my clients that I'm extra, extra picky. Like, I like to do a walkthrough in a house and I like to point out all the good things and all the bad things. Just like no judgment of like whether it's pretty or cute or in a good location of just like, oh, I don't know, that roof looks a little old maybe. Or that roof actually looks like maybe it's could even be new, you know, or, um, you know, just even, oh, look, there's the intake vent for the heater that obviously hasn't had the filter changed in a very long time. That looks disgusting. To me, that's like, what else isn't maintained in the house, you know? Um, people don't look for, like, uh, people don't think about the age of the house in relation to lead paint or asbestos. People don't think about the age of the wiring or what that could mean for financing or safety. Yeah, or the plumbing. Um, plumbing. I mean, people love to walk into a house and flush a toilet make sure it works. <laughs> That's a thing that they do? Oh, my gosh. People will or they'll turn on. Um, I feel like I'm, like, busting all my buyers right now, but I love you guys. Um, no. Like, they'll turn on the sink to make sure it works, you know, just like, does it drain, you know, which is a good question. You need to do that. But they like to do it sometimes. Like, I see, I have some clients that will do it during the showing, you know, which is just kind of funny during the showing. I was going to say. Yeah, so that's one thing that a lot of people don't know about uh, buying a house is that when you're shopping for a house, it's a little counterintuitive. But the way it works, the process works, is you do end up needing to write an offer on something before you know everything about it. You're not going to find out everything you want to find out about the house. And so it's like you're making this huge investment and there are deal breakers somewhere in your psyche um, and you're not you're going to basically write an offer to buy a house before you know if your deal breakers are going to be broken. You know what I mean? So um it's really counterintuitive. But yeah, the goal is to like get that property into contract so that you're the exclusive buyer. And then you have an inspection period where you can look into anything and everything. So that's how it works. But so many people, you know, especially, you know, first time home buyers or whatever, will go look at a house and they really like it. And then they're like, well, <clears throat> we'd like to find out about this first. Or we were wondering, we got to find out what it would cost to, you know, 
change out that front door or something like that, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, but not right now. Like, you know, let's lock you it know, down. Yeah, first. let's, you can make a reasonable guess or we can make a couple phone calls or depending on what it is, you know? I do think it's good to write an offer like based on what you can see that might need to be done. Um, but also it doesn't always work if you do that because a lot of buyers you, don't do that. They just write their offer and see what happens. Can you adjust your offer after? You can try to renegotiate. But, you know, a seller is going to want to see justification for that. So, like, why do you want $15,000 off now? Um, so, yeah, you can you can renegotiate. And then it's just the game of, like, well, who wants the property more or who's going to – you know, you don't know if that seller has a backup offer. That backup offer could be better than yours. They could be like, great, you want a price reduction? Nope. I'll just wait right over here, see what you do. You know, know how. It's not happening. You never know. So, yeah, you can always ask. Yeah, it's worth a shot, right? You just have to get it locked down first, get it in that. Yeah, so what I, what I like to say, and um, Brian, my husband, says this a lot too, is like, you know, like be reasonable. Like, is the house you're buying brand new? No, it was built in 1964. Is some of the stuff going to be from 1964? Probably. Is there going to be some normal wear and tear? Or is there going to be, you know, different materials used back then? Or was code a little different? Or, you know, don't like, you know, try and gouge a seller because you found out later that in 1964 houses were built with this certain thing that you don't like, you know, or um, I'm trying to think of an actual good example. Um so, like, if you walk up to a house and the windows, sorry, when the windows are fit, like dual pane windows and they're failing, they're all foggy, right? So you can't see through the windows. When you write your offer, you should take that into account. You don't want to come back two weeks later to that seller and be like, well, looks like I got to replace the windows and that's going to set me back $20,000. So I want a price drop because a seller is going to be like, did you not see the windows? Now, a visual interpretation of something is a gray area. So you don't you don't you don't necessarily want to take that too far, but you should try within reason to write an offer that takes that stuff that you can see into account. And then when you do that, it sets it up so that later when something maybe does get discovered that's not visible, you can even approach that seller and say, "Well, I saw that the roof looked old or I saw that your downspouts weren't connected and I didn't think I would mind fixing, you know, that fence that's broken on the edge or whatever, but I didn't quite expect for a $20,000 pest job under the porch. Things you couldn't you know, see. Something like, you know, and, and you look for like reasonable maintenance. I mean, every once in a while you see a pristine house and it comes back with a pest report that's like jaw dropping and you're like, it's perfect on the outside. How could it be so messed up on the inside and need like a company to come from Reading and tent it for termites or beetles, you, you know, or you can see a house that looks a mess, like the paint's messed up. It's half built or half finished. There's drywall exposed, blah, blah, blah. Well, that just had a pest clearance three years ago and a new roof. And you're like, that's a deal, right? But people don't know that. And they'll just see that the paint's all messed up and they don't think about the ten, twenty, fifteen thousand dollar jobs that are gonna <laughs> could come up. down the line, you know. So that's you know one really good reason to hire a realtor as a buyer because they can help you learn and they can help show you things that you need to look out for and pitfalls and guide you in the process. And you know, some people think it's better to work with a listing agent because 
and this gets into the ethical area, but because, oh, the listing agent's more likely to want to sell my offer if they write it for me, right? Because now they might make more money. Um, but that's really not ethical. And I, I don't, I, most of the realtors I know wouldn't do that. Um, I'm sure there's some that would, but I don't know them. Um, and I think that um, in that situation, wait, where is I going? I just totally got started thinking about the realtors I know out of the area. <laughs> Like where it's super cutthroat. Unseen. <laughs> so um, funny. We were talking about unseen damages and altering your offer. Yeah. I can't remember. Oh, no. Working with a buyer's agent. Or yeah. That. So you can, of course, work with a listing agent. I don't think it's going to get you some big gain like some people It's quote, better to say work with would. a realtor. But in general, if you're shopping for a house and you're not super experienced with it or know exactly what you want or whatever, having a realtor to assist you is such a good idea. And as a buyer, like I said, it doesn't cost you anything. Um, the seller pays the commission for the buyer's agent. So um, there's it's kind of like a no-brainer. Like, yeah, might you as know, well. Why wouldn't you? If you hop from realtor to realtor looking at houses just as they come up, you'll probably not get a lot of – I mean, you'll get interest. But as soon as a realtor – like we work for free till we get paid. And so if someone's not that serious about – Working with me, I'm not going to go chasing them down personally um, because it's a waste of time. You know, it's like if you if you want to put some energy and invest in saying, yes, I'll hire you, then I will be like you can text me any time of day and I will help you. But um, if you're going to like be talking to that realtor and that realtor and that realtor, it does actually start to get into a little ethical gray area. And I work with all those people. I'm not interested in stepping on anyone's toes if they feel like you're their client I don't want them to like think I stole you or whatever so there's a lot of dynamics but I would just say at the core of it if you're not sure where to start just find someone a realtor and start working with them if you don't like them you can change to someone else you know if you're not feeling really helped or served you can interview them you can say will you help me will you teach me and some people will be straight up and be like no I don't have time there are some really busy realtors that don't, they don't have time for that. That's okay. You know, there's lots of us out there. <laughs> you can yeah, find there's one. no shortage, right? <laughs> no. That's interesting. That's interesting in the sense that you would think that people would want to be as well versed as they can when they're making such a big purchase. It's overwhelming. And they would check the roof. They would check all of these things. Yeah, I mean... Like, you know, sometimes you have the client that shows up with a spreadsheet, right? And you're like, just okay, things you're, off. you're off and running. I got my list. You know, they're really educated about it. And then other times it's people's just like, oh, I just don't want to pay rent anymore. Help me figure it out, you know? Um, like the purchase contract, I mean, I don't know how many pages it is off, off the top of my head. I mean, it's like a 16-page document. So, <laughs> you know, just writing an offer, it's overwhelming. You know, I wouldn't expect people to know everything to look for. And even I've been on walkthroughs with contractors that miss things. So you never, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it's hard Houses to catch are, all, right? Yeah, you can't always see everything. And, you know, you might be having, your mind might be elsewhere when you're looking around. You might not always notice stuff. Or, you never know. Or again, your emotions come into play, right? And you're willing yeah. to overlook yeah. things. Yeah, like, it's a whole different else. thing when you're looking with your eyes versus actually investigating a property for purchase. And that's where people might turn on because they're like, okay, we're getting an inspector. Great. They're going to tell me what I need to know. And that's why, you know, we use inspectors so we can get more information. Yeah, I've seen a lot of houses sold as is. So as is is interesting. California is an as is state. And what that means is that when you buy a house and it's yours, it's yours as is. Um, I think 
like the story I like to tell is um, I worked with someone recently and their clients were doing their final walkthrough, which is just an opportunity to verify at the end of escrow that everything's as you, you know, saw, saw it. it. And like the neighbor like peeked their head over the fence and said, hey, they tell you about the car buried in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> and the buyers were like, um, no. <laughs> and, um, you know, they figured it out. There was no cart buried in the backyard. Oh, wow. Um, someone thought there was, but there wasn't, you know, whatever they needed to do to find that out. Now, if they had closed escrow and taken title to the property and it went on record with the county and a month later, the neighbor came over and said, you know, there was a car buried in the backyard. Um, and you find out, lo and behold, there is a car buried on the backyard. You own that car buried in the backyard. If the um, previous owner who sold it to you knew about it and did not tell you, now you have a legal case to seek damages. Um, but if they didn't know, which, I mean, if it was something buried under the ground in the backyard, you know, maybe they didn't know. If, if you can't prove that they knew or they didn't know, that's your car buried in the backyard. And now you know about it and you have to tell people about it. You can't pretend it's not there. And that actually happened with a septic tank in, in right in an area right outside of Eureka. Someone bought a house. They went to like bury it, put in a tree or something. And there was like this huge old concrete septic tank in the yard. And they were like, we didn't know that. And the seller didn't know it either. It had been on like city, you know, services forever. Um, I imagine it could have been found maybe in a document somewhere, but it's hard to know. Like we didn't even have a permitting system, I think, until the 60s around here. So a lot, hard of, to prove a lot of hand do. dug septic systems. I mean, yeah, who knows, you know. So they didn't know. So those people now own a house with, you know, on city septic, but also... <laughs> <laughs> a gigantic tank. old concrete wow. you know, box in their yard. What do so you... as is when it's being sold, though, like a lot of times you'll see on an MLS listing, seller wants an as-is sale. That means it's not as technical. It basically means don't ask for him to do anything. Don't ask for them to fix anything or anything. That's like, what I took that as yeah. was and, if you find damages. And you know what else, though? You can always ask. So it's kind of weird. It's like... If a seller says, yeah, this isn't as a sale, don't ask for anything. I mean, it depends on what you find, right? Like if you find something super significant that even they didn't know about that was really like not able to be seen, you can still say, hey, we're in contract, but I'm not going to buy this anymore unless I get 10K off. I mean, it's still negotiable until it's done. You can always ask. So even if someone says as is sale, doesn't always mean that's how it's going to go. So it just it just gives you a little indication of how actually um, like cooperative the seller might be or how negotiable they might be. What do you have to disclose? So as, much. Really? Oh, me personally? Yeah. You or as the seller? If somebody's <laughs> oh, selling. there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a huge stack of disclosures. Really? That's the number one reason to hire a realtor when you sell a house is because that person will have all the forms ready for you to sign. There's like a massive stack of advisories. They're not just disclosures about the property. They're like, hey, buyer, you might want to check this out, you know, X, Y, Z. The onus of inspection is on the buyer. So if, you know... If 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 something comes up after close of escrow that the buyer could have investigated and they didn't, that's not on the seller. That's not their fault. You know, if the buyer comes back and says, 
I don't know, who knows? It could be anything. Oh, my car actually won't fit in the garage and I have to have my car park in the garage. You know, I didn't know it wasn't a standard single car garage size. You didn't tell me. Well, the seller's like, I, I didn't know. Or it was up to you to measure for that very specialty thing that you needed. It wasn't up to me to tell you the measurement of every opening of the house, you know. So um, it's, again, a kind of little gray area on that one. But what about things like damage to the foundation? Is that does that fall under the same umbrella of if the seller doesn't know about it then? Yeah. Yeah. I mean if you buy a house that's slipping off its foundation and the seller doesn't have any indication of that and you don't think to look, then I mean, yeah, it's it's yours, you know. You can buy anything. You can buy a fixer, you know, you can buy something with holes in the roof or half burned you know, like charred and needs a rebuild. So you can buy anything. And it's not up to the seller to tell you everything that's wrong with the property. It is up to them to disclose to you everything they know, anything material about it. And there's questionnaires that they fill out for that. And if there's anything extra, I always say just you know, get it all out, whatever it is. The questionnaires are a little silly, though. Like one of the questions is like, have you ever basically done anything to the house? And, you know, when you're selling a house you lived in for 40 years, they just look at me like, what do I put here? Like, yeah, we've done. Have you ever painted any? Yes, it's been painted, you know, so you just fill them out as best you can. But it's always better to disclose too much than too little. And probably things that people don't think about disclosing that could be important. Well, I actually, I recently learned that um, I think there's a database online with the either California or National Association of Realtors where you can like read um, different cases, court cases around real estate, like what people sued sellers for or what people sued realtors for or whatever. Um, But uh, where was I going with that one? I was going to say that one that people, oh, one that people don't really think about is like noise. For example, like not disclosing a noise, like um, an unusual sound, like your neighbor has like, oh, a very barky dog. Oh, not even coming dog. from the house. Yeah, the neighbor, a neighborhood. Um, there's a whole section about neighborhood disclosure. We have a special disclosure in Humboldt that covers things like, you know, noise from a Coast Guard helicopter or um, agriculture in Humboldt County. Oh, um, that's crazy. I didn't know you'd have to yeah. disclose things that aren't even happening on your property. Yeah, I'm that, you know, I'm not really all versed up on like why we have all the disclosures we do. But, you know, my general impression, and I think the consensus is that they are they come out of lawsuits. (laughs) So, you know, as soon as there's like, oh, you can be sued for that now, then they make a new form for it to cover. And people are very litigious. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if it was me and I was trying to sell my house, I would definitely want a realtor to help me with that part of it because having that extra person in a paper trail could help you in the end. But that doesn't mean that, you know, working with a realtor is not a guarantee, you know, that everything's going to go perfect. So, um, but the disclosure, the onus of disclosure on a seller is probably the riskiest part for selling your property is just failing to say something that, you know, would probably more than likely affect the value that's important. Do realtors ever get sued for that or it's always the seller? Realtors, really? Yeah, there's, it's a, it's a weird uh, thing because, and, um, you know, what you say as a realtor really matters, you know, and there's also laws around interrupting and, um, disrupting current transactions or sales. Like, 
I don't believe it is legal. God, I feel like this is another test. Someone's going to check my answers and I'm, I'm hoping they're all right, but my type A is not liking this. I'm squirming a little. But anyway, I, I believe there's laws like saying like, you know, person A and B are in transaction to sell property or buy property and you're person C and you come in and you start telling buyer B something about the neighborhood or something. You just start trash talking it and that person goes, you know what, I'm, I'm going to back out. I'm not comfortable. I think seller A might have a case against you as third party C person. I don't think you can come in and just wreck a sale like as a third party. I feel like that's a long time ago test question. So I could be wrong, but there point being there are laws around how you interact and what you say and what you do and what people hear and what's sent on an email versus what's put in writing on a contract versus what was said in a text. Um, there's like, you know, real estate law is its own whole like field. Like you can totally specialize that in that as a lawyer and not just like, like there's, you know, commercial real estate law and residential real estate law. And they're very different because residential real estate law has a whole bunch of like, you know, protected classes that you can't, you have to do things totally different than when you're selling a commercial building because it's not housing. So yeah, that's a big, yeah, I, I, your questions are good. And that's where, you know, a good realtor knows to say, I'm not totally sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you do have to be careful what you say. And you don't want to you know, give people the wrong idea that can happen easily. You know, Yeah, I guess you do have a lot of power in the sense that you could really tank a deal just by making an off the cuff. Yeah, I've seen comment. tenants do that without realizing it. You know, you're walking through a property and a tenant will say something horrible and the, you can just see the buyer go, oh, yeah, okay, never mind. I'm out. Oh, yeah, the guy upstairs is cooking meth. I mean, is that true? We don't know. Do we have evidence of that? It's a deal breaker, you know what though, I mean? But like people. someone just threw that out there and now you're like, okay, well, Thanks for it's that. It's not a fact about the property that we know of, but is it going to affect that buyer's perception of that property? Possibly. Yeah. So, um, and then, you know, I do think it's hard because realtors are people. So, and we have things we, preferences, things we like, things we don't like, and things that, you know, like, you know, you, you see someone and they really need a certain kind of property for a certain project and you can't relate to that because you don't do that project you know you don't need and that's why you do find people specializing in stuff you know if you're really not into the outdoors you're not going to do rural land sales you know you're just you're not because you have to do extra different stuff so um yeah it is a personality-based job, and you're going to jive with some people, and you're not going to jive with others. You know, I've been fired <laughs> if wanted to fire people. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a people job, and it's a very stressful time in people's lives. So you do have to sometimes be really careful. And then there's, um, you know, someone ruins it for everybody, and now you can't say something a certain way, or you have to be careful with blah, blah, blah. But also, you want to do those things because you want to protect the ethics. You want to be a good fiduciary for people, or at least I do. So yeah, it's a it's an interesting job for sure. Yeah, I would imagine it it can be a little hectic. <laughs> be a little hectic. It's an understatement. Yeah, it right? Is, it is. You're, you know, married to this phone. I'm more than married to this phone. I'm, you know on like <laughs> with it all the time attached at the every hip. vacation you have to like consider well i have cell service while i'll be able to work because i'm much more likely to take a trip personally if i can work because then i can you know i can go longer you know or 
or whatnot. So it's interesting. You don't get a lot. You have to, you know, make your boundaries and, and say enough's enough. I'm going to not work this morning for three hours and just shut my phone off. Or is that hard for is. you to do? It is hard to separate for me. yourself from It's that? not hard for everybody, but it is hard for me because especially if you're running a lot of transactions or reaching like a bottleneck of transactions where everybody needs a little piece of you, that can be really hard. Crunch time. Yeah. But you got to get it done. You just got to do it. So, yeah. How many clients do you typically work with at a time? Does um, it vary? It depends. For me, it varies on the season. Um, I just have more clients during the summer. I think that's true of a lot of people. Excuse me. I think people like really, you know, once school gets in session, it slows down a little. And then once the holidays are in swing, it slows down a little more. And then... Once it's the new year and it's like cold and dark and rainy, it slows down even more. And then it picks up again. So um, I've, I guess my peak number of transactions would be at one time. Well, and that's hard too, because it's like, I might only have four transactions going, but I might have like five really active buyers that are out shopping for houses. So that's a lot of time, you know, and if I have one buyer looking in Willow Creek or like <laughs> Salier, you know, that's a whole day to go out there to see a property, you know, or not a whole day, but it's a better part of a day to drive out there and do a showing. Um, so, you know, I have a listing right now in Orleans and it takes two hours one way to get there. So that's a, that's, that's a, a commitment. One. So it really does depend. Um, but I think the most act like transactions I've been in the middle of was like seven and that's a lot. That's, that was a lot for me being one person. There's, you know, different ways people run their business. They have assistance and stuff. I'm not quite to that level. I kind of do everything myself still. So yeah. seven in a month. Um, it, they vary. Varies. <clears throat> yeah, but seven at one time. So they'll be in various stages. Someone might be, one will be in their inspection period. One will be closing next week. Um, one, we're waiting on an appraisal. You know, it just depends. Do you, how are the markets outside of like Eureka, McKinleyville, and Arcata? Yeah. Like when so, Willow Creek. Yeah. Is it, yeah. So are those I work out? more in Willow Creek and that area than I do like in Southern Humboldt. I feel like. <clears throat> I feel like Southern Humboldt's its own market, and I just, like, if you're looking there, just get a realtor that's down there. There's some good ones, and they really know their rural properties, and they know the little – they know that area. That would be my recommendation. Um, and there are specialty realtors like that in all of the sort of outland areas, Willow Creek, et cetera, but most realtors will work inland as well. Um so I did just do – someone commented on one of my market reports like, you don't say anything about Southern Humboldt. And it's like, well, I don't really work that much in Different Southern market. Humboldt. I do here and there, but not as much as others. So I don't feel like I can say. But it is – I did look at the stats and it, it is just a slower, it's a different market. It's a little slower. Um, they're different properties, you know, they don't have the same issues, you know. Even if you start looking at like pest situation, like they have different kind of wood destroying organism that comes up because we have fog and it's colder and damper. And so it's a different market down there. The inland areas um, are still really popular. Um, and you really, know, even like Willow Creek where it's more yeah, remote? So the big, here's the big issue is fire insurance. Um, mm. In the last couple years, it's with all the big fires that came through, it's um, sort of stabilizing now, but it can be hard to find um, insurance and it will it invariably can be very expensive. It can add significantly to the cost of owning a property inland. So, 
Um, and it's interesting because there are people that own houses out there that bought them before fire season was a thing and their insurance rates are still, you know, reasonable. And then the interesting thing about fire insurance is that it's coming closer and closer to the coast. And I have started noticing this primarily with like out of the area lenders who aren't as familiar with our tiny little like climate microclimates, like, um, you know, like for example, um, I had it happen with me on a property on Warren Creek Road, um, which is, you know, along the Mad River and they've got 299 Mad River and then Warren Creek Road's on the other side. So it's like, definitely it's like one hill it's on the back side of the hill from Arcata it's very as the crow flies it's not even probably very many miles to the ocean but because it had trees and was forested and was just a little bit inland it ended up having this higher fire insurance premium so um, that is more and more a limitation for people looking to buy inland. But um, we have such amazing rural properties here. You know, they've got springs, they've got wood, they've got flat spots, they've got sun, they've got the weather. Yeah, there's temperate areas in Carlotta. I feel like Carlotta, this is just my little personal forecasting, is like going to be the untapped Willow Creek of the future. You know, as people, you know, Carlotta, you can still get like acreage on the water with like multiple houses for like $500,000. I mean, they're not all like that, but there's some deals out there, I feel like for what it is. Um, and it's a little, it's a little bit cooler than like Willow Creek, a little closer like to a city than Willow Creek. So I feel like that's a, I feel like that's a, I guess what I would call up and coming. I think someday people will be glad they bought in Carlotta. It used to be a little bit bigger than it is now, right? Didn't it used to be kind of a more popular Carlotta? spot yeah i think there was a oh. fancy restaurant out there and yeah. they had a hotel they or something they probably had more um services maybe than they do like the little businesses I think and it was stuff Car- but... carlotta and then it just kind of died off people left yeah i don't i just think of it more of like people who are looking for rural property mm-hmm. um that's not quite as fire prone and still kind of close to town i feel like carlotta is like the blue lake of fortuna right so a lot of people don't think of it like that but it's gorgeous up there like i've shown properties that are just mind-blowing that if they were like two ridges over in bayside would be million dollar properties and they're like you know totally priced reasonably yeah in carlotta so i just think i think people overlook carlotta so i'm sorry if you live in carlotta and you want everyone to stay out no it's gonna blow up it's lovely there you're lucky Hmm. so yeah that's funny i wouldn't have thought so fire insurance, even in Willow Creek, is pretty bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, even in Blue Lake. Even in Blue Lake, it's, it's pretty bad. Ca- in certain, I can see Weaverville. Weaverville rural, makes sense. Certain rural areas um, that, like, I think, you know, I don't really know. This is, like, an insurance expert could talk about it. But, like, my clients in those places have to take photos of their property that are, like, date stamped that show the front of the house like in relationship to the trees and they i think they are starting i'm not sure this is total conjecture on my part like it's almost like they're basing their premiums on what is the fire danger i think they might be willing to take into consideration like do you have a metal roof for example is that that might lower your premium a little or something it's like a risk assessment process or so something. if you cleared out like a 20-foot boundary between you and the nearest tree without help? I don't know. I don't know Hmm. that for sure. That's, you know, someone who works in that field. But I do think that there's, like, stuff like that. Like, if you can... You can kind of finagle. Or they look for that anyway. They look for how... um, how fire-prone the the property is or the house specifically. 
Do you think that's the biggest thing holding people up from going out there then? Is that in no, the fire insurance? No, it, I think it's actually the distance. Because a lot of people, sometimes people will move to the area and they're like, oh, Willow Creek, it's only 30 miles away or whatever. That's fine for a commute. But then they get there and they're like, well, <laughs> it's pretty windy and it's there's road work. Miles. Yeah, it's not just like my commute, you know, outside of LA or San Fran or whatever their former commute was. So, yeah, I think that the distance is a little more... Um, what keeps people out but yeah fire insurance is definitely a factor hmm. and it's pretty bad in in blue lake too well i mean i think like i think i again i'm a little out of my We're scope speculating. here yeah nobody's gonna hold but you i do, do it. believe that if you're like in a town like in town in blue lake it's going to be a little different than if you have a property on the outskirts of town and there's trees and you're like at the base of a hillside or something versus no, I'm in the middle of a town. There's a fire department two blocks away. There's city water. You know, you're more likely to be insulated from a, a wildfire if you're in yeah. that situation. I Like, I'm not sure. But I do think they're looking at things on a more case-by-case case basis. And what I am sure about is that the premiums for fire insurance have gone way up. So that's for sure a factor if you're looking to buy inland. And... It's almost like you you get an offer on a property and yeah you wanna you wanna do that pest report and the home inspection and check the roof but you need to call around right away for insurance too, and start getting that figured out because it could actually change your qualification if it's you know because it's built into your loan in most homeowner situations so it might actually mean that you can't and so it used to be you could get. Um, you know, like private fire insurance through your regular, whoever your regular insurer is. And then I think premiums started to get pretty outrageous and whatever happened, they now have the government fire insurance, which is the California Fair Plan. And I actually asked an insurance agent broker once because I was like, well, why would anyone pay like $800 a year more for your insurance? Like why you're charging so much more than the California Fair Plan, which is the name of the fire insurance. And he made an interesting point, which is, I guess, like in the example of like Paradise, the Paradise Fire, there was such a backlog with the government agency that people were waiting oh. years for their checks. And, you know, I've worked with a local insurance agent who I use, and um, I was interviewing her at one point, and she said, if your house burns down, I will be there that night with a check to make sure that you have a hotel room and clothes on your back. Like, I'll buy you socks. I'll buy you dinner. You know, I'm going to come there. And I, like, got brought to tears because I was like, that's that's what's awesome about Humboldt, right? That's not going to happen with the California Fair Plan, but also not – possible it might be possible that you're waiting a very long time for your money and if you don't have resources it could really wreck your life you know so that was just an interesting consideration and you know I wonder as things warm up like could we see fires like that coming to the coast I mean I hope not people have been wondering has has it burned before I mean I felt like a really big fire hit the Santa Cruz coast couple years ago and that was and it's not out of the realm of possibility not that different so who knows i would hope that um on the coast we can avoid the insurance premiums but we'll see that's really not up to us there's nothing we can do about it are you noticing any change in who is buying now in terms of local versus um out of the area no i mean not necessarily there's always been people coming and going from humboldt county you know mm -hmm. we have certain industries that are in need of professionals that they 
you know, recruit and hire from out of the area and bring people in and it's not always a good fit. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily say that. Definitely there's people coming from out of the area. Um, are there more people coming from out of the area? Maybe. Yeah. Are, there's definitely more people with their cash that are, it's, it's like a little more of a vibe, I guess. It's not like, it's, I don't know that it's necessarily more people or it's just more of like an awareness about it. And also just, um, because the market got so competitive, those people got sort of spotlighted, you know? But I think the market would have, I, I don't know. I think that people coming from the out of area definitely drove up our market, but also it just went up on its own, I feel like, for the economics of the world, you know, the economics of the state. And I think it's not like, I mean, there was a point where we were like, oh, Humboldt County just got discovered. The Wall Street Journal and Realtor.com, like the same month, named Humboldt County as one of the top 10 markets in the nation. So, okay, there's that kind of exposure. That. Yeah. So it's it, it's it sounds almost stupid for me to say, oh, yeah, you know, no, people aren't coming from out of the area. But, you know, that was based on price increase, you know, and investment statistics. So I think that our area is growing um, somewhat naturally is what I mean to say. Yes, there are people coming into the area, but we need them here to do some of our jobs. It's not like it's not a feeding frenzy. Not everyone who's coming from out of the area is some like landlord piranha trying to swoop up all our property. There are a lot of people who want to live here, who want to retire here, who went to school here and moved away for 20 years and now they want to come back or served on the Coast Guard base and loved it and now they're retired and they want to come back or, you know, they, you know, so there's a lot of reasons why I feel like people come to Humboldt and it's not just because of the real estate, you know, and I think that it's natural for people to come and go a little bit. So it's hard for me when, you know, people want me to say, yes, everyone's coming from the Bay Area with all their cash and buying up and all our properties. And that's not wrong. But like I said, it's not either or it's and also those people are out there. But also there's like really good people that have really interesting skills that we want in Humboldt County. We want them to be members of our community. They, you know, we want more diversity. We want all of that good stuff, you know. So we want more scientists. We want more artists. And those people are coming too, in my opinion, in my experience. So um, I'm not worried. But I do think that um, the culture of our community is changing and will continue to change. Like, you know, I talk to sometimes people who, you know, were born and raised here and, you know, lived here so much longer than me. And I think about what they must have seen change. I moved here in 95. So um, I know what I've seen change. So when I think about what they must have seen change, it's kind of boggling. But, um, you know, there's no turning back. And I you do. You can't stop progress. Yeah, I do get that a lot. And actually, it's only going to get worse. I'll plug my website right now, which is at homeandhumboldt.com. And we're working on basically filling it up as a local resource for where to eat, where to play, where to stay, where to have fun, how to enjoy Humboldt County, all the good that we have to offer. It's not going to be any kind of news outlet, but we do, you know, focus on what what events are out there, what classes are out there. And then, you know, I'm a realtor, so there's also a real estate component. 
Um, but it is kind of one big sales pitch for how amazing Humboldt County is. And I've, I've actually had friends like private message me and be like, your website's so beautiful, but could you just not? Like, we don't want anyone else to know. And I'm like, you know, I wish I had that much power to like control who wants to come here, but I know I'm not that, I, I get to see on the back end how many people actually visit my website and it's not that many, like I'm not part of that problem. It's happening, you know, so and I don't think there's there's no way to stop it, you know. It just is what it is. So yeah, and like you said, with all these new these businesses and these ventures with Cal Poly Humboldt and the wind farm they're trying to do and the aqua farm, it's not going to stop. It's going to keep getting worse. My thought is just as because it seems like interest rates are going to keep rising, and as that happens, is it going to price out the locals? Because wages it's already locals wages are already priced out. Yeah, wages locals aren't are great. Already priced out. They were priced out at the bottom of the market, <clears throat> and at that point, the pricing wasn't due to interest rates at all. You know what I mean? So it's like we can scapegoat it on whatever we want. We can say, oh, it's COVID and everyone wants to move out of the cities or, oh, it's fire season and everyone's getting away or it's climate change and people are trying to move to a better climate or Humboldt County is just getting really freaking cool and people are finding out, you know, any of the above. Um, but the fact is, like at the end of the day, and this is what I tell people, it's like we do not have the new building happening here. Um, so it. It is, I still feel very confident in, like, if I had unlimited money, I would buy more property in Humboldt County because it's so special and it's not very big and it's so close to a, a lot of things and a lot of people with a lot of money and it is getting discovered and people are getting priced out. And if you live here and you think you're going to wait another year to buy a property to see if prices go down, you might not afford it in a year. Like, at the beginning of COVID, I had uh, quite a few clients that kind of just backed out and they're like, well, we think we think the economy is going to crash, right? It's a pandemic. Okay, sure. I mean, I scroll through the same Instagram you do. I saw all that stuff too, but it, the opposite happened. And I had people waiting for prices to go down that in the end, two years later, could no longer buy a house. And if they had bought when they were originally looking, they could have in that two years turned around and turned 100K profit. You know what which I mean? Which is crazy. It, which is crazy. Which is so crazy. No one could have predicted that. And in fact, no one did predict that that would be the result of COVID, that people would get sick of being in their houses and jobs would go online. Like no one, you know, really knew that that was going to have that effect. So anything else like that could happen. And if we had a different, like if we had lots of growth and lots of building, then I would say, okay, think about it. Maybe you want to invest in commercial instead or something, you know? You know, there, there's so I ha, I've helped people come from other oceanside cities that are like, I know what this house will be worth in 20 years because I came from Seattle. You know, I came from Costa Mesa or whatever it is, wherever people are along the beach where prices have just gone insane. And they don't have any doubt that that's going to happen here. <laughs> None of them. They're even, all for sure. They're even like, if the market crashes, you think there's still going to be... What does that mean, the market crash? The local market, the national market? Well, I think they're intertwined to some extent, right? Well, well I guess so, we yeah, are we, kind of we, insulated, though. Well, that's and the that's problem. what I say. Like, everyone says, I have a unique market. It is. It's both. It's not one or the other. It's, it's and or. Yes, if there's a huge national crash in real estate, are, is our values going to go down? Probably. Just from reactionary people. 
That's when people were like, oh, hey, the market crashed. Prices should go down. Yeah, I'm not going to pay that anymore. Or, you know, whatever. I'm not going to list my property now. So there's always going to be a ripple effect. But it's like I think everyone's like afraid 2008 is going to happen again. And I mean, I sometimes I feel like I'm pandering a little bit to people like thinking they're not very intelligent. But the fact is what happened in 2008 wasn't really a market crash. It was like a poor lending situation. And it's been so tightened up since then. You, it's not, that, that is not going to happen again. Not that way. And nobody who works in those fields thinks so. Thinks that? Yeah. No, it's it's pretty hard to get a loan right now. Like, But are people over... Because national debt is, I believe, the highest it's ever been. Yeah. Are people overextending getting yeah, these so loans? Yeah, that's so the, that's, the, that's what people wonder, you know? Personally, that's where I always go back to that whole thing of, like, if it's housing, then it's worth it. Because, you know, how many people do you know who are tenants who are like, I should be able to buy a house. I pay $1,200 a month in rent. Oh, everybody says that. Right. And it's not wrong because, you know, a mortgage can be less than that for the right property, the right down yeah, payment. Yeah, but if you over – so if you – instead of getting that $1,200 mm-hmm. mortgage, you get the $2,400 yeah. one because you can afford it. But then everything else is rising around you. You're paying more for right. gas. So, so what I would say is that, of course, inflation's a wild card. If you get into a loan you can afford today and something dramatic happens economically to change all of that, you may not be able to afford that loan anymore. Um, because of other costs, not because the cost of the loan went up. So that is true. How do people buffer that? I mean, nothing happens, I think, that fast as we think it does. Like, we think it's so fast. But if you literally found yourself sitting in a house you could not pay the mortgage on, at this point in time, it's still quite likely that you could sell it and get out from underneath it without having to do a short sale or foreclosure or bankruptcy. Um, if you've lived in it for any amount of time, you build up that equity pretty quick. Um, it's, you know, that's been very true lately. So when people were saying, oh, about COVID foreclosure, right, all these people stalled their mortgage payment and now now we're going to have a rational foreclosure. It's like, well, no, because the market like doubled. So I thought it was going to happen. Those people actually could totally cash out right yeah. now. Nobody's getting foreclosed on because you can sell. So it does depend on little micro fluctuations and what's happening nationally. How do we rebound and react locally? But um, are people overextending themselves with national debt? Probably. I mean, that seems to be what the indicators are. I'm not an economist. I do know that they look very closely at that when you go to get a loan, though. And they do debt-to-income ratio, and they're pretty tight on it. And that is why the average person who pays $1,200 a month as a tenant in rent probably can't get a loan or is would be difficult to get a loan because they do have debt, in some cases student debt or car debt. And that... You know, it doesn't matter that they have a good history of paying that amount of money that could also be going towards a mortgage. The bank doesn't look at that. They look at what you're talking about. What is the credit worthiness, you know, of this person? So, yeah, I mean, it could it could happen. There could be some big fallout. Um, but I don't know. I, I haven't I just don't I don't think so. I, yeah, just I don't, don't know what get to make that of feeling it. in my gut. Of course, I, it could happen. You feel like it's still pretty solid. I thought it was, to be fair, I thought it was going to tank. With COVID? Oh, yeah, a while ago. And it just, it didn't. And then I thought it would tank because of inflation eight months ago. And it didn't. Maybe I should go back and reread my market reports from them and see if I was, did I call it? I don't know. I think I started to because I noticed that I was losing clients. 
Because they thought it was going to tank. Everything stopped for a second because, ironically, uh, real estate was not listed as one of the essential jobs. So all of us were oh, like, "Oh, so you guys couldn't work." So some people like took listings down because they were like, "Hey, it's not essential. We're we're done." But then everyone was like, "No, it's housing. Of course, it's Seems essential. essential." Yeah. So it it was it was I don't know if it was like three days or a week or whatever. It took them a minute, and everyone was like, "Wait, we what? I like we're in the middle of, like we're in the middle of a transaction. Like someone's buying a house. You can't just shut it down." But um, yeah, so they they got that up and running pretty quick, and it was going well. But there were hardly any listings, and a lot of listings got taken down. But you know, the thing about buyers, especially buyers who are looking for a home, they're looking for a home. They don't care if there's a pandemic going on. They need a home. They need a house for their dogs and their kids or whatever. They need stability. They need they need what they need. And if they're looking, it even a pandemic didn't stop them. Not my buyers, you know. I mean, we had buyers because the lending all changed in the middle. Like like the second week of lockdown, it all changed because now people were losing jobs or it was in question of like, you know, your whole financial circumstance changes as a country when nobody's going to work. So they had to reassess and there were people who lost their financing in the middle of a transaction when, you know, they had it the weeks before, but now because of COVID lockdown, they didn't. So there was all this scrambling that happened. And when we all got our feet back under us, you know, all of the insanity of pandemic and internet and the world's coming to an end and blah, blah, blah. Like nobody wanted to hear what I had to say as a realtor of like, no, it's fine. Go ahead. Oh, it's still going up a little. It's going up a little. Oh, and now it's going up a lot, you know, and people are, oh, well, it's going to crash. It's going to go down. I can't keep going. Well, yes and no, right? It's like, where are you jumping into the flow of the river? You know, it's going to rain. The river is going to get higher. It's going to be a drought. The river is going to get lower, but you can still catch a ride. You know, it's not like you should just stay out. So it does depend. It just depends on each person, financial, emotional. You never know. Yeah, I don't know. You're almost like the reverse Chicken Little in that sense, where you're like, funny, "Hey, the I sky's know, I, not I, falling, I, guys." I, have, I keep getting told that lately, and I'm—I mean, I'm trying to be really clear. It could fall, right? But that doesn't mean we don't go on with our lives. You know, I, you know, I have teenagers that are young adults, and they're just about out of the house and stuff. And I was like thinking about that statistic lately that kids stay at home till they're 26 now or something like that Is that's that the like the statistic? national average and I was like wow okay so I have to readjust my plan you know but the fact is, it's like, what do you tell someone of that generation about the world they're going into? You know, they have been raised on devices. They have now lived through two years of three years of pandemic in their young lives. Um, they have, you know, fire seasons. They have global warming. They get information from all sources that the world is ending, you know, that, you know, I mean, Supreme Court decisions. I mean, there's so much happening. So, I think the days of like knowing what the heck is going on are gone. And I'm just a realist about that. I That makes a lot of people upset when I don't personally engage about certain political or economic things because I'm like, I don't know. I'm just me. I don't. It's so complicated to me. I'm, I have my certain things that I'm good at and that I know about and I'll stick to that. But um, when it comes to real estate, I think it's pretty stable. I think the fact that corporations are buying up properties is an indicator that it's a sign we should consider that that you know that 
Yeah, I, I'm for me, I'm just like, I'm more comfortable. Like, I would so much rather put my 80K into a duplex than Bitcoin because I'm old. Like, I don't trust Bitcoin, you know? I don't understand it. It doesn't, you know, I get it. If I had bought one a long time ago, I'd be happy now. But other than that, I don't understand it. So I wouldn't make that choice, you know? I like something tangible. I like knowing if everything hit the fan and I had to move into something I could or or what have you. So... For me, it makes sense, that kind of thing. But it won't be for everyone moving forward. I think when I look at my kids and think about upcoming generations, there's going to be a lot of migratory people, a lot of people moving here and there for different jobs because of different money or different opportunity. And I think if the political vibe keeps going, it'll start being like, what state do you want to live in based on their politics? And that's going to shift things in a way we may not be able to predict. We don't, you know, we don't know what's going to happen anymore, I think. So, um, the pace of the world is so fast that, you know, you just do the best you can. <laughs> yeah, and I think, like you said, everybody has been saying it's all going to crash down for so long that it almost just seems like this is the new normal. Now. Well, and that's where I would just challenge people, like, what do you mean it's going to crash? Like, tell me what that means. Do you mean all the the people who bought price, who bought the houses are going to be upside down on their, you know, blah, blah, blah? Well, I mean... Just like with the environment, everything rebounds eventually. And that's why people say when you invest, you invest for the long haul. That's why real estate's a long-term investment. That's why the stock market's a long-term. Everyone's looking for the cash cow. And it can be that. I mean, I know some buyers who just bought a property and the people who sold it only bought it two years ago and made almost 200K. So um, that is it's so crazy. possible. It happens. But trying to time your every investment for that to me is more stressful than like for me, real estate represents an investment that you might be able to enjoy. Do you enjoy taking care of property? Do you want to have your own little HGTV moment, you know, decorating something or whatever? Um, some people feel like it is a service to the community of like, I'm going to take this eyesore. And you know what happens when you do that? And I've seen it. The neighbors are so thankful. You know, they're like, oh, I've had rats running into my yard from that house for years. And oh, I'm so glad you're cleaning it up. Or, you know, even just a house, sometimes you come in and take care of it. And people are like, oh, my God, you put in a garden. That's amazing. Or thank you for planting that tree. Like, it is a lovely community building event to invest in property. So um, for me, it's meaningful like that. But it might not be like that for everyone. You know, for some people, it's a liability. You can uh, watch your stocks much easier from anywhere in the world than you can watch your investment investment if it's a duplex, you know? So it really is individual. And as far as the chicken little part, I mean, what does it mean for the market to crash? And, you know, we have that example in our recent lifetime. It crashed in 2008. There's no doubt about it. You know, if it crashed again, it would be a different kind of crash. It would come out of nowhere, just like that one did, and everyone would scramble. Um, so it is important for buyers when they're looking at their interest rate and their mortgage amount that they feel comfortable with that. And now at least you can be assured that the banking industry is tightened down and they're not going to put you into a subprime mortgage. But, um, you know, there's other things we might be, you know, not what is that? Apes to the cliff? What was those like that one scene in that one BBC thing where all the animals just kept going off the cliff because the first one went? They were just running towards the cliff. Oh, I've heard about that. And they all just went. And yeah. who knows? That could totally be happening. I think that's the thing with bison. 
Yeah, if ever they're like in a herd, yeah. Yeah, and one goes off, yeah. they all just, they just keep, keep going. So keep going. that's what I mean about real estate. It could be, right? It very well could be. But historically, have we ever been able to know right before? Like unless you're like in on the inner circle. I don't know. Someone somewhere probably knew. Yeah, unless you're like Nancy Pelosi and then you're. The average investor yeah, probably The standard person's know. not going to be yeah. able to have that inside information. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, like I don't really even think all those people on Instagram – or TikTok, I don't really think they know either. Nobody really, really knows. And so all I try to do on my market reports is look at the stats, I look at the last three months, and I just say, what's happening? What happened six months ago? What happened nine months ago? What what else is going on in the community? You know, what's what am I seeing? What am I hearing? You know, so yeah, and things change, you know. Things do change. You never know what will, what will come of it. But yeah, I still think, you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody about their individual circumstance if they're not sure, you know, if it's a good time to buy or not. Um, but again, it's so individual, you know. I've I've worked with really, really well-qualified people that, you know, could have probably saved or made a lot of money uh, to buy something. And they were like, you know, we're only planning on living here for like four or five years, so we're just going to rent, you know. And it's like – that's that's just their choice it's okay yeah. you know that's their personal like trifecta of their needs whatever they might be so um yeah it's definitely not a realtor's job to judge what people are doing <laughs> you know so yeah it's not for everyone that's true and i've heard them i've heard people speculate that we're going to get to a point where that's the only option is that you have to rent because you can't everything's bought up well and that that I, I mean, there's a little part of me that fears that just because um, of all the movies I watch. That's how it is in the future. <laughs> right? Yeah, just these when they portray the future, nobody owns a, their own house. Yeah. Unless it's some old lady that's like a carryover from the 1900s and she happens to have retained her little small plot of land or something. But no, I don't know. I do think we'll keep going up. Even in Humboldt, I know there's like a development planned right on the water for some affordable housing. So that'll be happening. Um, Arcata's gateway plan, if you haven't heard of that, um, the public comment period is, um, I think, coming to a close in the next month or two. And it's an area sort of near the creamery where there's a lot of sort of either vacant or weirdly used land. And they're trying to define that space by adding housing. And this was all proposed before Cal Poly, I think. Oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah. So um, there's a really good informative video about it online. I actually recommend Googling like Arcata Gateway plan and you can watch a lot of people just are already. There's the whole not in my backyard thing. Yeah, you can build more housing, just not in my backyard or next door to me. Um, and in Arcata, they have basically allotted this area and they have they have they've They've done some stuff about it, but basically they're going to allow like, and I think in one area, it's like up to eight stories tall, Whoa. which is so different in multiple buildings that tall or around six stories, four to six, four to eight, something like that, I think. Is there a lot of pushback against that? Um, well, I mean, they've been advertising and seeking public input. And yeah, I'm sure there's been, you know, pushback about that. They are trying to have setbacks for like trees and not make too much shade. They're going to put in a whole separate like 
a, another plaza, I believe, that's um, walkable only, like you can't drive into it. And it will, I think all of the buildings that they're putting into this gateway area are supposed to be mixed use. So, so like a commercial and then residential upstairs. I you know, specifically asked if there was any uh, owner-occupied quantity that was going to be required of this development. And um, the consensus seems to be that, you know, they're open to that and that would be great, but that's not going to be necessarily a requirement. I think parking is, like, I think they're anticipating these buildings to have, um, like, parking structures underneath, kind of like, you know, how they do it elsewhere. (laughs) So I don't, I don't know for sure, but um, there's a ton of information out there. So if you live in Arcata and are interested in finding out more about how Arcata will be changing, that is definitely on the docket in the next, you know, 20 years. That would be a big change. Yeah, it will be. Yeah, it is. And they're approved. I mean, they're doing the plan, so it'll, it will happen, um, I think. Wow. And even even this big, huge plan, I think, is supposed to add, I think they said, like, a 1,000 housing units. So it's not even enough. Mm-hmm. But I do think we'll see that upward growth, more upward growth, more apartments, I wish, more condos. <laughs> or cooperative housing would be great if we could come up with some kind of cooperatively owned units. Um, that'd be cool. But, um, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, it will be. Interesting to see. I think, um, you know, if you're interested in real estate or like keeping an eye on that kind of thing, Humboldt County is a fascinating market because it's so diverse in the kind of properties that we have. And there's just not that cookie cutter situation. Um, A lot of people like know it's so it's not uncommon for me to like present an offer and like, oh, I know them or or like have a listing and I'll get a call from an agent. And they're like, yeah, my buyer says they know you, (laughs) you know, and it's like that's just different than a lot of other places, not everywhere. But um, so it's kind of a fun one to watch, you know, and there's cool little niche markets here with like the Craftsman and the Victorian and the Pearson homes, which are kind of their own little I think a lot of people don't love them, but I do. Um, kind of a mid-century solid redwood house. They're usually a little cheaper because um, they're different. People don't like a flat roof. but um, The flat roofs freak me out. I always just think, oh, if it starts leaking and then you've got all this damage. The yeah, hot so tar Pearson's, roofs freak me out. Too. Yeah, so uh, here I happen to live in a Pearson, so I'll just give my little pitch on it. Um, they're cheaper to replace those roofs because really? you do have to replace them more often. <laughs> but you can also maintain them more easily. It's so easy to crawl up on your own roof because it's more or less flat. It's not entirely flat. Um, you can seal, reseal like an average homeowner with, you know, any kind of handy kind of leaning can reseal the places that need to be sealed on that roof pretty easily with a product they can buy at the hardware store. So maintenance on your roof is pretty easy. On the Pearson house specifically, there's no attic. So, um, and it depends on which Pearson you're in. They, what they have is they have the roofing material and then they'll have like like the sheathing, which is usually just like some kind of plywood. And then um, in some houses, Pearson houses, it's tongue and groove wood. And in the other, it's this fiberboard. But it's literally like this, I don't even know, it's like a six-inch ceiling. There's no attic. So it could be argued that you in a Pearson home would see your leak sooner and it would cause less damage because it would come through immediately. Whereas if you had a leak in your attic... You'd have to wait for that leak to hit all the way down and then continue. So, yeah, it's each their own. Are the Pearson houses, are those tar tar roofs? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're like paper, tar and paper roofs. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, some people do like trestle those up and um, put a proper peaked roof on them, but I think that ruins their character, <laughs> their mid-century style. Yeah, it would definitely change the look. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, they're cool houses, Pearsons. They're they definitely solid. look cool. Uh, most of them have hardwood floors, and the flooring's usually, you know, a known quantity. They're like a known quantity, which is really nice. Um, you can kind of count on certain things with them. You know, they're almost all like I think they're all redwood. Are they just cheaper because any... people don't like the style? Or well, they're, they're not necessarily cheaper, but I do think some people think they're because, like, they if you didn't know any better, you'd walk in and you could be like, this is the same shape as a mobile home. You know what I mean? With the peaked because they have peaked roofs inside, so they're the roofs are slightly peaked inside, um, and they you know you could. Someone could definitely, they were built for function. You know, it was the baby boom after World War II. They needed a lot of housing really quickly. And I think that those houses were designed to be able to be built quickly. Like the wiring does not extend into the ceiling. So, I mean, people have modified them over the years. But when they were built, all the lights were on the walls, on the sides. So sometimes people, again, will buy a Pearson home and they'll never think to look up and see are any of the lights coming out of the ceiling and lo and behold you move in and it gets dark for the first time and you're like oh my gosh the only light is on the wall right here next to the door and it's super dim and there's not even there's no place to put a light like you know stuff like that but um there's workarounds for all that stuff but they're interesting houses they often have a lot of windows which is nice and um they're not um very big they're not ramblers at all they're like you know the the custom pearsons are like I want to say like 1,600 square feet is big for Pearson. They're mostly oh, wow. like 1,000 to 12, maybe 1,300. Most of them are like three bed, one bath. The kitchens are kind of small. You Built know. for function. Yeah, just for function. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Utilitarian. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for coming I on know. and, and talking with me. We can, no, 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 sure. we can wrap this up. <laughs> We've already done two, over two hours. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um. Where can people find you? At Home and Humble. Yeah, so our website is at homeandhumble.com. On there, you can check out. We have a weekly events list. It is posted on the website, but you can also subscribe. I do have someone that helps me with that now because <laughs> I'm one person. But we actually really strive to have the most comprehensive events news list in Humboldt. We pull from all the – and we don't charge people for it. We just do it, you know. So it's not like you have to go in and put in your event list. So that's a really good resource for people and we will just email it to you and it's not a spammy thing if you get on the events list you only get events lists that's, that's it. like a newsletter yeah it's just it's just events um and links to events and classes and stuff and there's a whole section for that on the website we're working um getting the website built out right now to be sort of like an online magazine for humboldt county hoping to start doing videos of some local businesses and highlighting you know all the great things about humboldt oh that'll be um, cool yeah in the meantime, we're just putting up the resources like best restaurants and all that kind of stuff. Um, we also have like a full real estate section to our website. So there's information for buyers, for sellers, for investors. Um, we have a ton of blog posts written that aren't up. So that's like just the bottleneck for me as a business owner trying to be a realtor and a business owner and get a website going. Um, if you want to search for properties, you can search for properties there. You can get a hold of us there. Um, yeah. Ami Ruck is my name, and my web uh, my email is my name, Ami Ruck Realtor at gmail.com. 
And Brian is my husband. He's not here, but he's also a great realtor. Brian Shout Ruck. out to Brian. Yeah, Brian Ruck Realtor. We work for the Key Group, um, which is a locally owned brokerage. Again, being a hyper-local person, I like to point out that there's no corporate money involved in our brokerage. So that's kind of nice. It all stays with local people. And yeah, I think that's about it. Um, I'm always like interested in talking to people about real estate or their ideas or thoughts and helping people out. So definitely reach out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, let me thank you. This yeah. was awesome. I really thank enjoyed you. talking yeah, with you. Thanks. All right. Awesome. Thanks guys.